The following podcast is brought to you by long-term sponsor Atlas VPN. Support Moore's Law is dead by supporting this sponsor at the link in the description and make sure you use offer code Moore's Law to get Atlas VPN for just $2 a month. That's 82% off. And it is also brought to you by CDKoffer.com. Use offer code BrokenSilicon for 25% off Windows codes and DieShrink for 3% off everything on the website. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Fluid Motion Tom, and I am joined today by my co-host, uh, DLSS 3.0 Dan. <laughs> I got it. I thought you were going to say DisplayPort 2.1. Is that was the other kind of like it's not, but these are real things, buzzword-ish, you know, non-standard feature thing that AMD announced with their uh, RDNA 3 reveal. Uh, my other thought was uh, terrible image interpolation on TVs, Dan, but I thought that was a little bit long-winded. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we dig into any of that, let's just save that for later in the episode. <laughs> I, I definitely have yeah. some things to say about that. Um, but before we continue, as is courteous, how are you doing, Dan? I'm pretty good, I guess. How are you doing? Adjusting to the fact that now it gets dark way earlier because we for some reason have to do this stupid crap every year yeah you know i gotta say as someone who is truly a uh night owl um the daylight saving stuff is a double-edged sword or, or really just two swords stabbing you because if i get <laughs> up between 10 a.m or noon even though i work usually till 9 p.m or something which i'm sure you guys can tell by when my videos come out it's like, oh, so good. So I'm going to get up, you know, do a couple chores, you know, let Reese outside and then come in and I guess I'll see the sun once while I'm eating lunch and then there'll be no <laughs> sunlight for three or four months. It's, 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 it's extra sucky for night owls. That's what I will say about daylight savings time. Yeah, I would love if they got rid of it, but which... There was some buzz about them doing that last year. I was going to say, did I they get rid of it? I thought it, they voted on this. No, or did I, I misremember this? I swear they did, but I guess it's not happening. <laughs> this is the last year. It's a thing. It says is. Oh, okay. So I guess this uh, is the last time we'll suffer. Hey, so really though, does that mean we're just done, done? And we gained an extra hour of sleep because they had to give it to us after taking it away before. No, we'll lose an hour of sleep one more time. I think remember okay. because remember because uh if it was just this it would get da- dark an hour later every day forever now it's true <sighs> okay well at least this is the last cycle of uh, of bs that we have to deal with but not the yes. last cycle of a bs podcast which is broken silicon let me get into the opening reader mails here so i've got some screenshots of a package i was sent of dog treats for Reese, and I took a video of me throwing one of the treats to her, but it also came with this card, which I wanted to read today, addressed to Reese, mm-hmm. uh, and with a Snoopy Hallmark card, and it just said, happiness is knowing you're on the road to recovery. Hey, bae, feel better. 
from Herschel to Reese. And then it came with this. I don't think this will count as legal tender, but some sort of check here that is for unlimited dollars to the veterinarian. I think if he can like cure her. So that's good to know that I can cash this in depending on. I'll have to show this to you the next time I see him. Depending on locality, they they might accept that as legal tender. That's true. Now, let me look at this check. It actually says, oh, no, it's not unlimited. It just says um, a lot. lot. Okay. (laughs) And pay to the order of the doctor who treated Reese a handful of money. Well, I don't know if a handful is a lot. I guess it depends on the denominations of the bills. Uh, From Scrooge McDuck Bank. There's There's a lot of stuff in here. But for killing cancer... Does not say where he's from, except for one, two, three, four place way in city state. I doubt that's a real location. So with that, it's going to be hard to track down if this is U.S. dollars, you know, Canadian dollars, Australian dollars, Brazilian. What is it? Reals or something? I don't know. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, when the the quantity is a lot, I think the the tender starts mattering a little bit less. But, you know, yeah. But thanks for the reader mail. It, yes. it really does give us, uh, it is heartwarming. And, and, you know, Reese's, her status, I would just say, is mixed. She's had mostly good days recently, but it's not a good prognosis so far. But still, she's been running around. Um, for Halloween, I guess I'll let people know that me and my girlfriend went as Little Red Riding Hood and the Axeman, and Reese was the Big Bad Wolf dressed up as a grandma, which is a good joint costume, I thought. Um, so at least she's still going to puppy costume parties to this yeah. day. Q for Combo writes in and says, Hey, Mr. Phantom, that's spelled P-H-A-N, Phantom and Count Dankilla. With it being spooky season, what are some of y'all's favorite Halloween movies? Dan, you go first. If we're doing Halloween movies specifically, I mean, I guess... I guess Trick or Treat probably is my favorite specifically Halloween movie. Yeah, you know, I, I, I take it to mean spooky movie or thriller or horror movie. I, I think me and you, I think yours, which, so wait, do we agree that Midsommar is our favorite horror movie or is yours different? I don't know. There's a lot of good ones, man. But we both love It Follows, The Witch. I don't know if you'd count Cabin in the Woods. I would definitely. If you don't know Cabin if, if it counts, make sure you watch Cabin in the Woods and don't let anyone spoil it for you. Um, <laughs> God, what are some other really good ones we like a lot, though? I mean, the Oculus Happening was pretty good. The Conjuring was good. <laughs> the Happening was a joke. The Happening, the happening was a, very was a bad joke. Movie. <laughs> and even honestly, Dan, I I think my ears just rejected what you said, and I didn't hear it. As I like, mean you know, that. If you want to hear a weird movie, watch a weird movie about plants killing people, I guess watch The Happening. But yeah, I mean, we like The Witch. There's so many great movies, especially recently, so many great indie scary movies that I don't know that I could get through all of them. I just say my favorites are It Follows and Midsummer and uh, Hereditary but yeah. and The Witch. So I think if we agree on the which one's number one, I don't know. But I think those are both of our top fours. Um, I would say a fun movie on HBO that just came out is Barbarian, though. So we can both recommend that. <laughs> yeah, wa- watch Barbarian if you haven't. <laughs> watch Barbarian. Um, Tragaholic writes in and he says, "Is the most sound investment right now the popcorn supplier within reasonable distance to EVGA headquarters?" Uh, I don't know. It might be. 
Man. I mean, referencing all of the shenanigans and hardships going on at NVIDIA, of course. I, I uh, One of the things I keep seeing right now is I'm sure EVGA isn't regretting their decision. That is a popular genre of comment right now. Yeah, yeah, which we'll get into. We'll get into all of that. But um, I think that'd be a very sound investment, Tragaholic. And I definitely wanted to acknowledge that reader mail. Which you guys can submit a few supporters on Patreon because I thought it was quite funny. But um. Anyways, here, let us then get into the corrections and omissions. Unlike previous recent episodes, we actually have quite a few here. And the first one is just coming from me. So I expected we would get a bunch of corrections about this, but we didn't. And I'm like, well, I've got to address it on the Broken Silicon. So on the recent Loose Ends, I had in the title 7800X 10-core. And what I want to say is this. I'm sure AMD's testing 10-core Zen 4 products right now. They've already released 10 core Zen 3 products. So anyone who doubts this it makes any sense, well, they already did it. So this is not a controversial thing to say that if AMD did a 10 core Zen 3, they're, they're at least testing a 10 core Zen 4 product. <laughs> mm-hmm. However, I do have to clarify that. I saw this in the live chat during the loose ends and I was didn't know what people were talking about. They were saying there was some baked benchmark for a 10 core 7800x oh if you rewatch the loose ends i go i i don't know what benchmark you guys are talking about because here's the truth of the matter i think the day before the loose ends or two days before maybe i saw on the moore's laws dead discord tons of people talking about a 10 core 7800x and i reached out to a few people i said do you know anything about this do you know anything about this one person got back to me and said uh, yeah, it's being tested, a 10-core Zen 4, but he didn't give it a name. And another person, who's one of my best sources, reached out to me before I even reached out to him and said, this rumor, the the or he said, like, recent benchmarks are probably true because I know from one of my colleagues that, like, 10-cores are being tested. And he actually had some specifics that were in recent leaks that I can't get into on why he thought recent leaks were true. But nothing I said was based on any benchmarks, and it seems like someone had faked some 10-core Zen some 10 cores, 7,800X benchmarks. So I just want to clarify something. Probably shouldn't have put 7,800X 10 core in the title of that loose ends <laughs> because I just looked into it based on seeing people talking about in the Morse Lives at Discord. Again, if you go to that loose ends, I don't reference any specific benchmarks and I don't have any links to any benchmarks there. I just said, I heard this is a thing. I can say they're testing it. But now with the knowledge that there were fake benchmarks recently, I have to say... Well, there's probably some 10 core Zen 4 product coming, but it might just be embedded in, I wouldn't bet on it being the 7800X. So I thought we'd get a bunch of reader mails in about that, um, but I didn't, and I'm like, I have to address this on Broken Silicon. But I didn't think we were rushed to do it because I didn't really claim anything crazy anyways. Um, but I, I mean... New crazy Zen t- 10 core with 8 gigahertz, Tom, coming. Oh, that's right. It's also at 8 gigahertz. Um, <laughs> but so... I, I guess uh, uh, one reason that fake benchmark, I guess, uh, or if there are is one out there, made the rounds is because people do think AMD needs more multi-threading performance per tier with Zen 4. Um, but I would say if that's what they need, considering I know the 7900X is not selling very well in the lineup compared to like the 7700X and 7950X, I would say the easiest thing for AMD to do is just drop the 7900X to like $500 or $480, Drop the 7700X to 350, drop the 70, release the 7700 for 300, and drop the 7600X for 250. That's a lot easier than them making some weird 10 core 
for consumers and then just launch a 7800X3D for $430 or something. I think that's probably much more likely than a 10 core 7800X. I mean, what do you think? Or maybe we'll even, I don't know, see like a down clocked or something. I don't even know if there's any I thought reason of that too, for 7900 a down clocked like, like 7900 or something, not an X that they sell for what, like $450 or something or 430 I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, that would require I, pricing adjustments across the board, I guess, depending on how low they dropped it. Yeah, because if they have bad enough yields, it would make entire sense that whatever CCDs of six cores they're using for a 7600 non-X, they could just use two of those for a 7900 non-X. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, they could just say, oh, yep, this is the non-X. It's 450. This is the non-X again for the 7600. It's 230. And then just not drop prices on the other units. But also not produce that many of the other ones anyways mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah i think all of that it makes way more sense than uh launching a, a weird core, 10 core yeah um which qh freddy writes in and says does amd with zen 4c or no does amd with zen 4 have the capability of using different core count ccx's on the same cpu i know on previous iterations the infinity fabric limited them to having all ccx's in the cpus be the same core count um QH Freddy, I'm not 100% sure about that. I thought there were Zen 2 or Zen 3 epics that AMD showed prototypes of that had some mixes of 6, 8, or 4 cores, but maybe I'm misremembering. What I do know, though, is relooking at the embedded 10-core part from Zen 3, which is called the 5900E, by the way. Uh, it is seemingly 5 plus 5 because it has 64 megabytes of cache which would suggest the same cache as a 5900X, which means they're probably just two of the exact same CCXs. If it was a 10-core based on 6 plus 4, I would think that it would be like 48 megabytes because they would just literally cut it in half. But I don't know. Maybe that's also a a misconception as well. Maybe I'm just thinking too much of a Zen 2 thing where they would just literally disable some cache with the CCX. But as far as we can tell, the Zen 3 10-core seems to be two 5-core CCXs. But... I, I have no way is that of knowing. Actually, um, I, I, I remember, is that actually in any products? Or is it just... Yeah, the 5900E. A... It's an embedded version oh, of the okay. 5900. Okay. So, or I guess that's another thing too, is they might call it the 7900E, give it 10 cores, and then just launch it to desktop as well for 450 or something. You know, mm-hmm. Who knows? But uh, I think all of that makes way more sense than calling it a 7800X as well. I, I really would reserve that for a x3d you don't need two eight cores if you're especially if you're going to launch a 7700 non-x right mm-hmm. all right moving on to another correction here richard and paul writes in and he says in broken Cellcon 176 you said that battle mage would be going up against the 5000 blackwell series uh and he, put, oh, he puts 5000 series and he puts in parentheses blackwell well first of all i need to cut you off there uh when you say 5000 series in blackwell it could be lovelace again so let's just throw that out there. When I say 5000 series, I don't necessarily mean Blackwell, although I usually do. But it goes when it launches in 2024. But you also mentioned on the podcast that we're not going to see the 4000 series launch cards in the low end performance brackets until next year. Given that the 4090 has launched late 2022, I feel it's likely, even if less than a two year cycle between Ada and Blackwell, that the 90 series of that chip won't arrive until possibly around mid 2024 at the soonest. And thus, a 60 or 70 class of the 5000 series might not arrive until 2025. As such, Will Blackwell will probably span generations. It probably won't launch, at least initially, to mid range Blackwell competition. Um, 
I just say that yeah, that's a premature thing. I get your point in saying, oh, maybe Battle Mage if it can launch mid twenty twenty four instead of late twenty twenty four. I guess you know yeah. it's like maybe they won't have the next gen competition. Maybe I'll end up being wrong. But it's like yeah, but it's premature to say either way, dude. And like we're, uh, we're betting. I mean, we're talking about yeah, probably products that are two and a half years out either way. And I, I think a rearrangement of a few months in either direction, you'll have better, big, big different, I mean, different results. And I think Battle Mage would be better off assuming all they have is like a single mid-range die. I think they would obviously be better off releasing before Blackwell mid-range is out. But Yeah, but to say that I'm probably going to be wrong about that, you're making this assumption that so many people make that just because this is what we saw literally last gen, this is definitely what we'll see the next forever gens. You know, there are many generations. Pascal launched with a 60 series at launch or like within the first two months or something. You know, like to assume that they just wouldn't have mid-range products at the launch of the 5000 series. If anything, I would say, well, the reason they would do that actually is because they've skipped out on it for so long with Lovelace. It's time to better cater to that group <laughs> after a couple generations, right? Yeah, and, and I don't know. I, 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 it's important to emphasize, yeah, once again that like this, that we it's been two cycles where we've kind of had the same, at least with GPUs, the same thing go with Nvidia uh, going right before AMD. But it's 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 only been two cycles. It doesn't mean this is just where we're at forever. Who yeah, knows? And we'll, what, we'll, uh, no, but we'll get to that later in the episode. There, I think there's a very good chance AMD actually may have a surprise generation before RDNA four. It's mm. totally possible. I mean, so. yeah, that's always a possibility. If that if they can get like a refresh generation out uh, with substantially better uh, performance, I don't see why they wouldn't. I just think there's been less of a tendency to call that a new name recently mm-hmm. where thoughts on that they, they yeah. refresh stuff like amd could have called the 6950 xt a 7900 xt if they wanted to <laughs> you know which they did with the 8970 which was oem only after the 7000 series a decade ago yeah and i, I even think, though it was only 10 percent better i think in the past that's kind of what they did more especially <laughs> amd mm-hmm. is in, instead of uh going to a new, I mean, they would go to a full new number generation and call it something else. Uh, where as now they seem more committed to calling AMD and NVIDIA both seem to be more committed to calling their architecture one series of cards, even if they're releasing that across two years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I get your point, Richard and Paul, but it's too early to say if there will be a 5,000 series mid-range card out by then, whether it's Blackwell or like a Lovelace Plus or whatever, what if NVIDIA doesn't, but AMD has RDNA 3 Plus in the mm-hmm. mid-range, that'd still be a, basically what's happened now where maybe they didn't call it Plus, but what if an RDNA 3 Plus comes out for the 50 series next year and the, right, the 7650 XT or whatever is RDNA 3 plus refresh. It'd be the same situation as now, except I actually think it would probably be stronger over the 7600 XT mm-hmm. than the 6650 XT is over to 6600 XT. So either way, it's two years away, my man. It's conceivable in- Intel will be competing with like mid-range three nanometer or at least four nanometer optimized products. And I, I don't think that leaves Battle Mage in a good position 
competitively <laughs> for <Yeah>. doing <laughs> anything but basically doing what they're doing already at best. Um, I'd say Druid or Celestials when you should hope they actually have something that can actually affect the market, um, which is the point that art cancellation video. Uh, but let us move on to the next correction from TMC Payton. He says, in Broken Silicon 176, oh, that must be an infamous episode, damn. <laughs> you mentioned that the 4K 240 hertz monitors are not on the market yet, but that's not true. Samsung released the Odyssey Neo G8 back in July, and Hardware Unbox and many others reviewed it. Also, 1440p240 through 270 hertz monitors have been out on the market for years and have even started dipping below $600, even approaching $500 in many cases. 1440p240 hertz plus is within the budget of many 80 class buyers, but 4K240 hertz is becoming viable for 90 class buyers. And I, I'm assuming he means viable because they assume if you'll buy a $1,600 graphics card, you'll buy like a $1,500 monitor, whereas some of those 240 hertz 4K monitors were like two, three thousand dollars. <laughs> Even a 4090 owner probably wouldn't want to pay that much. Um, yeah, I haven't we said that 240 hertz 4K monitors are out now? I don't know. Probably. I mean, I don't think we've spent that much time talking about them because I mean, I guess now is when they're just starting to become theoretically viable, but <laughs> as a thing, but. Yeah, I swear in a recent piece of content, we actually talked about how they are available now and you can use this with like RDNA 3 and stuff. But I don't know, maybe I misspoke in one episode and said they're not. But I know if this is a correction for that episode, I know I've acknowledged it recently because when I saw this, I was like, did I really say that? But what I'll say is whether I said it or not, um, I do remember being shaky about if they exist, at least. And so <laughs> corrections warranted. Yeah, they're out. Sure. Um. But at the end of the day, I, I still don't think they're like mainstream. I, and I don't know that anyone trying to save money on a 7900 XT is probably going to go for how much this thing costs. Probably not. I mean, well, let me see. I don't let know. Me, it's hard to say. It, not, they're $1,300. So, yeah, I, I know I was thinking of maybe getting a new monitor this bulb. Uh, okay, so it's 1300 Mini LED way cheaper than the asus one that's just hilarious to me okay but oh but the reason i've ignored it is because it's curved so i don't count it probably mentally because <laughs> i just hate <laughs> 16 by 9 curved displays all right so i stand corrected if i said that because it definitely is out in yeah 1300 i guess you could see a 4090 buyer getting this but um i don't know it's still it's a lot to spend on a monitor that's probably going to be half as much in a year Spark Boys writes in and he says, Hi, Tom. Going back to the DDDR5 Rocket Lake, or I see RL and I think Rocket Lake. You guys stop putting RL. That is, that's Rocket Lake. It's closer to Ro no. <laughs> uh, Raptor Lake versus Zen 4 discussion. In response to you saying, I'd like to have them at least try to run uh, DDR5 higher or cover why they didn't in Zen 4 reviews and Raptor Lake comparisons, I'd wager that most reviewers do not know how to properly overclock RAM due to it being incredibly complicated and time-consuming. You do have to run memtests for hours and hours as the system does multiple passes of the entire RAM capacity multiple times to check for any potential errors. This is something they would have to run for every CPU since the bin on IMCs will also vary chip to chip. Checking which speeds on Zen works is not the easy that easy because you might run a mem test, have it pass, run a benchmark, and you have to run the test system and throw it all that and start all over again if like on the fifth benchmark it blue screens. 
You likely have to throw out a lot of data if you wanted to push RAM to the limits on Zen 4, and a lot of testers are finding it doesn't clock as fast as Raptor Lake. I do recognize and agree with your point of controlling the RAM as a variable so that they are equal between the two CPUs, where I'd like to see the testing be done properly. Have all timings, including sub-timings controlled in a follow-up video post-launch with the reviewer, is not rushed and has time to work out everything. I agree. And that's why I say I wish they would have done some something or cover why they didn't. My issue isn't that I expect like hardware in box to test max RAM they can get stable on every Zen 4 CPU and every test. I understand that's unreasonable. But my point is when you have someone like Linus Tech Tips running 6,800 megahertz RAM in a Raptor Lake review, which by the way is $325 for that kit. I looked it up. <laughs> and then in the same breath, saying things right. Remember, Raptor Lake has an advantage because you can use DDR4 which is RAM that costs a third as much and will make it lose to Zen 4, I just have a pretty big issue. I think most people aren't buying RAM this fast, let alone even a little slower than that. And I think if they wanted to do a fair comparison when both of these generations are trading blows by 2 to 5%, they should have all been at 6,000 megahertz or something. Because it, just this whole concept of Raptor like having an advantage in performance by 5%, then using $300 memory kits, and then chastising Zen 4 for requiring DDR5 is fucking stupid. I'm just going to say it. Well, it it, 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 it is. I, and I, I think sometimes people, when they're talking about this, are, are speaking are, are speaking both ways as if you can talk about... Uh, Raptor Lake as a cheaper option because it has a theoretically lower lo lowest possible platform cost and then also saying well look at its DDR5 performance and you can talk about both of those if you want to and that you should but it's like you need to keep in mind that you need to separate those in their mind because you're essentially getting a different product when we're splitting hairs at this because you're splitting hairs at this point with all of these CPUs in gaming, yeah, because a, a uh, thirteen nine hundred K with DDR four is a different product than a thirteen nine hundred K with DDR five. Absolutely, and it's a it's could be 20 percent performance differences in many applications using DDR five at sixty eight hundred megahertz. <laughs> Oh, DDR, yeah. oh, you do. Yeah, I mean, Zen 4 is expensive because it requires DDR5. Here's our $300 memory kit in the test. Like, which one is it? Like, you did all your tests with one side winning by 5% with a like 15% memory clock advantage. Well, okay, so it's a more expensive platform. But that's it then, because mm -hmm. the second you throw DDR4 on Raptor, like it ties or loses to Zen 4 in gaming. And I'm talking about the top SKUs. 7700X just beats the i5 in gaming flat out, no matter <laughs> what you use. So I don't know. My, my, my problem isn't that they, I expect them to just push every system to the limit for every single little test. That is definitely not what I'm asking. It's just, I, please put two minutes into the video where you're like, hey, we pushed this one Zen 4 system to 6400 megahertz and it ended up tying it or didn't. Say it didn't. And then cover why you didn't do that in every benchmark. And then maybe try to just put them at the same speed, what it, whatever it is. Because most people aren't even buying 6,400 megahertz, by the way. Most people, if they get DDR5, are probably getting 6,000. Whether it's Raptor Lake or Zen 4, unless all of a sudden pricing doesn't matter when you buy Raptor Lake for some reason. And just put them at like 6,200, 6,000. Whatever is easy to do, that's what I think they should have done. But the fact that they didn't use the same speed memory is understandable. But worth mentioning that I found mm -hmm. it weird. Mm -hmm. That's my only point. 
Um, all right. Speaking of finding things weird, let us move on to the weird testing results of XE super sampling and story number one. And I'm quoting here from articles and multiple videos that came out of Hardware Box and TechSpot. I kind of merged them into just one write-up. Um, so th- imagine Tim saying all of this from Hardware Unboxed. He goes, for those of you who have NVIDIA or AMD GPUs, which today make up the vast majority of desktop PC gamers, there's no reason to use XE Super Sampling at all. Intel's upscaling technology performs worse than NVIDIA's DLSS2 and AMD's FSR2 at the same render resolution, and in most situations, it produces worse visual quality as well. It's a bit of a brutal brutal double whammy, which is disappointing given that the technology was promising to do so much more. Because XE Super Sampling isn't worth using on AMD and NVIDIA GPUs, it's also not worth integrating into games. Developers would be better placed spending their time elsewhere, whether that's optimizing DLSS and FSR implementations or just working on something else. Even if XE Super Sampling did work better on Intel GPUs, something they'll be exploring soon, I'll get to that later in the write-up, the user base for Intel Arc is so small that it's not really worth considering from a developer's perspective. To make matters worse, Intel are yet to convince us their Arc GPUs are worth buying with average value and driver issues in the first-gen attempt. On Intel GPUs, though, once we finally did test them, that runs XE Super Sampling with XMX, it's a different story. It often outperformed FSR 2.0 and came close to DLSS 2, but it did still have stability issues quite often on Alchemist, often crashing in some games even any time we even turned it on. So it's definitely something that Alchemist owners should turn on if it works and they have an Arc GPU, but it shouldn't be used on any other GPUs over FSR, including NVIDIA. However, it does not beat DLSS as well, though, even on Alchemist GPUs that had less artifacts and performed better. And so it's hard to say that even if you have an Alchemist card or you're planning to get one, that it's really a selling point for Intel's RAM. And it's hard to see developers implementing this feature in their games over DLSS, which NVIDIA controls 70 to 80% of the gaming desktop GPU market, or FSR that controls far more market share than Intel dedicated GPUs, and FSR can be utilized in the massive console install base. We've seen this in some console games already. And so it flat out works almost as well as DLSS 2, also on NVIDIA and Intel. So if you're a developer, you might as well focus on FSR optimizations as those can be used on consoles, NVIDIA, and AMD. So that's my summary of what Tim said at Hardware Unboxed about XE Super Sampling. Uh, did you do any other research, Dan, or have time to like look at other stuff as well? Like, What's your overall opinion now that we've had weeks to test Alchemist and non-Alchemist running XE Super Sampling? Uh, it, I mean, you know, I don't think it's surprising that uh, ZSS isn't really worth using on any other <laughs> on hardware other than uh, Intel hardware. I mean... It's open source, so hope uh, obviously you would hope that it was somewhat better, but it seemed to just make games look worse and perform worse uh, uh, when compa- on AMD and NVIDIA GPUs. That being said, I mean, I think from a visual fidelity standpoint, it looks like ZSS on ARC hardware is getting pretty close to what uh, DLSS 2.4 has to offer. And I think it kind of just emphasizes how in the dust AMD is right now with FSR uh, 2.0 and 2.1. And I think highlights how much they need to make up, ground they need to make up to 
for FSR to be seen as an equivalent feature to DLSS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it has the stability. It works really well on all products, but the fact that Intel, you're saying who has botched so many other aspects of the Alchemist launch, at least theoretically, the promise is there for XE super sampling that shows you AMD really does need to get its act together. Yeah, because that's a thing I noticed. Um, they're like in areas with a lot of like grates in uh, FSR. Mm-hmm. It's still an issue where I've seen that too. they either get washed out or they like shimmer a ton. And I didn't notice that nearly as much when I was looking at like ZSS uh, mm-hmm. on Intel Arc hardware. So, I mean, it's de- it's one of those features. And I, I still think it's true for FSR that if you have the hardware for ZSS, you should definitely be turning it on because as far as I can tell, it doesn't. I, it looks like it's generally speaking on average in between DLSS and uh, FSR in terms of quality. Mm-hmm. But I think it's closer to DLSS than it is to what FSR has to offer. So, I, I mean, it gives you two options, I guess, if you have an Intel Arc. You have FSR and ZSS, and, you know, whichever one gives you the slightly better performance or visually visual fidelity is the one you should get. I mean, it's yeah, the one you should use. Yeah, if you're in use. a game where, where it crashes when you turn it on, use FSR, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> or it, it, <laughs> yeah, it... it or because like the performance increases that you get with ZSS seem to me to be pretty in line with what uh, FSR gives you on Intel Arc GPUs. But eh, visual quality is better, so I think I would take three fewer frames per second at ninety frame at like near a hundred uh, if it means I don't get like weird shimmery crap in the image. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's um, such a fair point. Though what Tim brought up, the to be to be clear though about how at the end of the day though why would developers focus on this number one and number two honestly if it works this badly on non XE products why allow you to turn it on like you're almost just doing bad marketing for XE super sampling because people might try it out using an Nvidia or AMD GPU and go God this is terrible I'm never getting an art card. Like, why are they allowing it? And actually, he brought up this point. He's like, as far as I'm aware, FSR is open source. So why don't they just put FSR into XE Super Sampling? <laughs> <laughs> like, just, wh- I think that's a fair point. Like, why would XE Super Sampling be so terrible on non-art cards if FSR is open source? Just do whatever they're doing, dude, at least. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that point wasn't lost on me. I thought, <laughs> I think he made a very good point uh, by saying, hey, no one's going to implement this and you might just be turning some people off from mm-hmm. wanting to get one of your arc gpus <laughs> although i still don't think there's any reason to get an arc gpu and un- under any circumstance for the but the box is so nice and it's true oh, look at this box it's i almost don't i still haven't opened it because i haven't had time and i almost don't want to because in its box it's still the prettiest box i've ever had if i open it i'm gonna have to deal with reality <laughs> You're going to have to deal with that. Like in the uh, the uh, ZSS review, the uh, weird square textures in Hitman Three instead of the fog machine. Mm-hmm. You, but, you might get some cool artifacts like that, even uh, regardless of ZSS. 
But I'm going to have to start going through it soon as I've got to start preparing my Raptor Lake test bench with all of these graphics cards I've got behind me before the 4090 gets here. And uh, so I will be forced to test it very soon. But I guess wrapping up this story. So how would you summarize this, Dan? Like, and I'm trying to think of because how I ask the question really does matter here with how you answer. Like, <sighs> like it's is all- XE Super Sampling an impressive first showing to you? It, yeah, I mean, to me, it looks like it didn't have the teething issues of like DLSS, at least when it comes to running on the hardware it's advertised to be running on. So mm. I think that alone says, eh, from all of the things that have been uh, all of the myriad of stories we've had from the Intel Arc launch, I think this is the most successful part of it almost, even if it's only in a limited number of games. I mean, Hopefully that list expands. I don't think it will ever expand to the size that DLSS Mm -hmm. or FSR has, though. Yeah, I guess that's what I would say then is, you know, I think there's so many people trying to couch all these arguments regarding Alchemist in terms of like, well, it's going to reach its full potential. And it's like, no, most of the things you're hyping up is eventually aging well. I I don't think are going to age any better than Ampere or RDNA 2, guys, at least not for how much you're paying for a $350 card that costs the same as like what a 6700 XT is on Newegg right now. Like, you're silly for getting a 6600 and hoping it ages into 40% better performance and you could get a 6700 XT or actually a used 3060 Ti for less now, I'm noticing, on eBay. You should just get that. Having said that, the unfortunate thing is XE Super Sampling does seem to have a lot of promise. That is one of those things that might become a big selling point. If it gets any adoption, though, and the way they're handling this makes me question if it ever will. Well, keep in mind, uh, Alchemist cannot ever get a lot of large amount of adoption because there's just not... They didn't make any. You're, 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 <laughs> the, the cards that have been bought are the cards that have been bought. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah. All right, well, all right, let, let's move on then to story number two, NVIDIA's 16-pin 12VH power catastrophe. All right, so I've got a bit of a write-up here before we get into the discussion. One negative story has been dominating the Lovelace launch. 16-pin ports and cables melting, destroying very expensive 4090 GPUs enthusiasts have just purchased. There has been a flurry of reporting, testing, and leaking about this in the past couple of weeks, but first, let's confirm what Moore's Law is Dead tweeted on October 27th. This outlet said that Jensen has met with the manufacturer of the 16-pin female port a week ago to discuss if there are inherent issues in the 16-pin port that NVIDIA has mandated everyone use in all of their designs, and if so, what can be done if there is an issue. However, many system integrators that Tom spoke to confirmed that using native 16-pin uh, uh, cables from power supplies seem to prevent these issues almost every time. At the same time, some power supply launches have been confirmed by Moore's Law's dead sources to have been delayed to allow for deep dives to take place because they're really not sure it is just cheap adapters that are entirely to blame for this port melting problem. And in summary, this issue is so bad that Jensen had to personally get involved and it could be bad tolerances, limited bad batches of parts, or just cheap adapters. But one thing is certain, NVIDIA mandated many of the parts everyone is using for the graphics cards and some of the parts used by many adapters be used. And so whatever the culprit ends up being, it's probably a very widespread issue and unlikely to be a very simple fix, like recalling a few adapters. If that was the solution, 
NVIDIA would have done it by now. All right. That is what I can say. And that is my overall opinion before you um, get going here, Dan. Like, I, I think that it seems to mostly be related to cheap adapters. But the fact that we have a couple of confirmed cases, I think, correct me if I'm wrong in a second, of native 16 pin ports on power supply still melting, although seemingly not melting as bad usually, uh, tells me that there's some mismatch with something or a tolerance or something in the 16-pin ports on the graphics card, though those are rarely to blame. It's just usually some of them can make the issue worse, and it's usually adapters, but it's probably a little bit of both, although mostly the adapters. Yeah, I mean... What do you think? I know you've done a lot of research on this. So today, it it looks like, to me, there's still only the 16-pin... I I mean, there's still only the one uh, 16-pin adapter. I mean, uh, 16-pin cable. That has led to the melting. I don't think there have been multiple, at least as far as I've seen. So so there's the one like tweet reported by video cards. And so far, we don't have a widespread confirmation. Yes. Uh, Okay. um, So obviously, I think the two big stories that were covered that like arose were from Igor's lab and Gamers Nexus, Mm -hmm. where Igor's lab. I, I think it's important to not mischaracterize what either of them did. Igor's lab looked at the looked at the uh, adapter and found what uh, I seems to be shoddy uh, design uh, with cheap solder, thin, uh, uh, thin uh, wiring. And according to gamers Nexus, their video that they posted, possibly uh, he had a, an adapter that had lower spec wiring on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, His was rated to one fifty volts. I think they, gamers nexus at least at the time i had watched their video said every uh every adapter they had looked at had a 300 volt uh a 300 volt uh rated wire and that same spot um so igor's uh video slash article that he put out essentially says the main reason could be this is that the adapter is poorly made or some adapters are poorly made or there's a, a quality control issue. Gamers Nexus then went in and did a bunch of different permutations of ways you could theoretically make a cord fail, like having uh, poorly interfaced with the graphics card, having uh, cutting different wires, etc cutting different wires and having them partially still connected. And they, after eight hours of testing and every permutation didn't get any power failures. So Mm -hmm. I think that's what you're left with right now. I think Igor puts out a plausible theory that hasn't been confirmed yet. And gamers Nexus and a few other outlets weren't have yet to be able to recapitulate in a lab setting. What could have happened, which it's funny that people are doing that because, frankly, that's not anyone's job. <laughs> but, no. You know, it, it, but I it'll guess... get you clicks, and it, it'll get you clicks because people are worried and people want to know the truth. And as long as NVIDIA is quiet, the silence is deafening. And, yeah. well, these channels are going to fill in the vacuum. And that's something I pointed out, actually, on, like, a consulting call the other week. Like, this is just, like, scary thumbnail after scary thumbnail of people holding melted stuff. NVIDIA's marketing, like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, and I, I think at this point, this could have been fear-mongering at first, like when it start, started That's emerging That's why I didn't talk October. about it for the first week, because yeah, I'm always I, worried. It, I don't think you should have, uh, because it was like one person on Reddit posted my adapter melted. 
who knows what could have happened? You know, mm-hmm. it could have been that person was just an idiot. I don't know. I, I'm the, not the, saying the, he is. The, the mindset I make, though, to have people understand why I, I'm slow to rush to failure stories is every time a new console generation comes out, there's, there's a, a million fanboys saying all the Xboxes are failing and a million fanboys saying all the PlayStations yeah. are failing. It's like one guy got a yellow light or something and you're just a bunch of fanboys trying to dunk. So I'm always I'm very I'm very sensitive to that mindset and be knowing console fanboys. I can only imagine what might happen anywhere else. Yeah, but I I think it's it it needs to be said. This is almost certainly a real thing at this point. I guess mm-hmm. there's the outside chance that this is just a weird confluence of events. But on Reddit, uh, I believe they have 20 confirmed cases. Uh, Gamers Nexus has I think 10 reported confirmed cases. It's important to note that some of those are overlaps, so we don't know the exact number, but somewhere between, I would guess, 20 and 25 are, are confirmed cases uh, across the internet right now. Who knows if that's the majority of the power failures that, that there are, or if there's, right? I don't know, twice as many people that have gotten it that just haven't reported it online. That's always a possibility, too. Um, so, gun up to your head, you say it's not the port on the card. I think it's I, I, I think it's partially the adapter Mostly and I, I, I feel like that there's a good chance there's something else, but it's really hard to say if it's ju- not just the adapter. I mean, the fact that one 16 pin has failed in a uh, I mean, yeah, one uh, normal 12 pin has failed in a similar way tells me that there's something else out there that we don't understand yet that is contributing to it. And maybe you have to uh, a somewhat low quality control on some of the adapters that are being paired with the 4090. And you also have some slightly faulty component in the adapter in the uh, female end on the card itself or some poor tolerance or something. That's and, what I, you know, and when, when you were- combine the two together, you get a rare event where <laughs> the, the, the port melts itself. Well, yeah. The, in the example I've been giving, to people who ask me is when I worked in the automotive industry, like there was all these tolerances involved in like the various tubing you put into a car in that similar situation, female and male port. And there were some failures where the male port or the male plug and the, the female port were often within tolerance, but on a bell curve, maybe the plus minus one of those was mostly in the plus category, but within tolerance, the other one is mostly in the minus. And if, too much of the distribution was on one end with one product and on the other, you could get situations where like a tenth of them fail. I don't think that's what's going on with this in terms of like that percentage, but I I, I would suggest that there's probably a little bit of something. Like it, it, NVIDIA's going, you know, we need to tighten our tolerances on the female port on our cards that we make moving forward by what 5% to this, <laughs> this, this. And also, we need to stop all these cheap adapters. But until they're 100% sure of exactly what will fix it every time, I guess they're not making a statement. But they should say something. They just they know if they say anything that comes off as wobbly, though, I bet, it'll be blown out of proportion. So I would, would you agree? I would suggest this isn't like you have a 25% chance of your card failing if you get a 4090, as far as we can tell. But this is a widespread issue, and it's hard to say either way And like... When someone asked me on Twitter, what should I do? I'm like, try not to use an adapter. Run your card at 300 watts so it's not at the limits of the voltage. Yeah. It, it's it's just so hard to say how widespread of an issue it is because like, 
we have we have a couple dozen c- cases where we can say a similar failure has happened because when you look at the failures people post usually bl- very blurry pictures of their pci <laughs> express yes. co- uh cords uh it's usually it seems to consistently be the same three pins that fail every time mm-hmm. so that tells me there's some oh, co- yeah. there's consistency to it seems like there's a consistent issue we don't know if it's just bad quality control that's could of the adapter that's probably some if not most of it we don't know if there's something wrong with the port itself maybe i mean clearly they think there's an issue that they haven't acknowledged yet but the longer this goes on the more they the more deafening the silence gets as you say because Something has to be said eventually, and it might be an incredibly rare power failure. I mean, once again, a couple dozen, and I don't know how many have been sold at this point. Mm -hmm. That's not nothing, but it's also like if you own a 4090, I don't think you should expect to get it (laughs) to have this power failure happen. Yeah, the one thing I can say, though, is Igor, and I talked to him offline about it a bit. uh, we, We chat every now and then, and he said to me, like he, what he knows is that he doesn't think it's the female port on the cards, mm. but that he can reproduce it over and over and over and over with a a, a set of adapters that came out of one region. So, okay. and he and it's to the point where what did he say? He said he took the sixteen pin port, I think, off of a thirty ninety Ti <laughs> and put it on the forty ninety, and then it worked again. And like, <laughs> so he's just like. It he can't reproduce anything that suggests the port fails there. But we have some people claiming it's happened. But what he can do is reproduce a certain type of adapter fail failure multiple times, suggesting that there is some specific thing at least that needs to be done. It's just Nvidia hasn't done it. And I actually don't know what else to say about this story. It's like I wish I could end it with some big conclusion, but it's like Nvidia needs to say something now. It's in. I thought for sure they'd do it by Friday, by the way, but they haven't. And uh, at the end of the day, it's most likely the adapter, but I, I just doubt that there's not something they're going to tweak with the design of the ports moving forward, because if there wasn't, they would have said something by now. Mm-hmm. But it's probably not technically their fault, but yet they could probably adjust something to make it have a less likely chance of failing moving forward. Does that make sense? Yeah. The one, last, Did, the one last thing on. I'd say about it is... To the other end of that story, uh, when you read about people doing their own investigations online, it's getting to a point where some people are, seems like some people are like compulsively checking to make sure their uh, 4090 hasn't failed. Like you see posts, I think the Reddit, the the mods at r slash NVIDIA, I think are doing a pretty good job uh, of reporting confirmed cases and reporting unconfirmed cases in that Mm -hmm. mega thread up. Um, where if you look at the mega thread, they have five unconfirmed cases. And if you look at it, it looks like these are people that are unplugging their GPUs over and over again to make sure that it's not failing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it looks like there's physical damage from like misaligning it a little bit when you replug it in. Because I noticed most of them oh. didn't have damage on the same port, the same uh pins that consistently fail. And it looks like there's a little ding on the PCI. And I remember they said technically the the spec is it has to survive being unplugged and plugged in 30 times. And you may have people unplugging it five times a day and they may break their board anyways. 
Yeah. So it's just like, or, uh, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. Don't do that. And you see a lot of, hmm. a lot of, uh, like posts about it are like very early stages of cord failing. And it's like, we don't know what this failure is. There's no evidence that this is a, uh, slow exposure failure where every time you turn it on, it melts and deforms a little bit more. Or if there's just a catastrophic failure that happens where it gets too hot and the plastic melts. I'd say that's much more likely than a slow failure, by the way. Given, given that most of the cords <laughs> that have clear photos, you can see burn marks on it, I would agree. It doesn't <laughs> slowly burn, guys. It's just going to get hot because and then it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah that's, that's um, all I have to say. I, I just wanted to bring, say, don't don't start compulsively disassembling your PC to make sure it's not failing because that will make yeah. it more likely to fail. Which again adds to at this point, NVIDIA, say something. Yes, <laughs> NVIDIA <laughs> needs to say something. Reezy likes browsing Netflix, but not just part of Netflix, all of Netflix regardless of region. And why shouldn't she? She's paying for it. These regional content walls are silly. And you know, you can avoid the silliness just like her if you also get atlas vpn today's piece of content is sponsored by atlas vpn atlas vpn is an incredibly affordable vpn that's become a long-term sponsor of moore's law is dead and so if you need a vpn show them some love but not just because i told you to or because they support this channel but also because atlas vpn gains you access to content in other regions that companies want to nickel and dime you out of and make you go to other services to get but you don't have to they also allow for blazing fast competitive upload and download speeds work on unlimited devices and they even stop ads and malware including malicious links and trackers trying to steal your data and they also work Work to show the best prices available while you're shopping, subverting attempts to gouge you based on location or operating system. And well, that one is just incredibly useful, in my opinion, because it demonstrates that you're actually paying for something here, although you're really not paying much. That's right. It's saving you money every month, despite only costing $1.70 a month. If you click the link in the description and use the code Moore's Law for three years of service with six months free while they are running their special Black Friday deal that applies now. Support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting Atlas VPN today. Diplomaticus writes in and he says, Hi, Tom and Dan. Hope you're doing well. In Broken Silicon 176, you were discussing the 4090s and how the Founders card should have targeted 350 watts. So AIBs could have had more room to make factory overclocked cards and they could have maybe saved some costs on the reference. But do you know if the opposite might happen now? NVIDIA has released these big reference cards. Do you think there's a chance AIBs will make cheaper 4090s than NVIDIA that target 350 watts? Would it be impossible to profit below 1600 even with cheaper coolers? Or are they contractually obliged to target at least 450 watts? Well, first of all, when you say impossible to profit, what does profit mean? 1%? Because they could profit by 1% and they go out of business if they did that because they have all this other overhead. So what they would want is at least like a 30% profit, I would think. Pro honestly, probably 40% at this tier of a GPU. So what I would say is if they targeted, and I would actually target like 310 watts, like I would get it to 95, because like, I think I think Der Bauer at least found that you get to like 95% performance at like 310 watts or something. So just do that, not 350. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. if you're going to make the cooler cheaper, you might as well make it a lot cheaper. Um, and I think getting to around 300 watts is when you could start to use something like the coolers we used to use on normal graphics cards in the past. 
Um, and then if you do that, I think you could honestly shave off one $200. Now, I don't know if that's worth it. That was a $1,400, which it probably wouldn't even be that. It'd probably be $1,500. 4090 that uses a cheaper cooler worth making. I don't know. I think most people at this pricing tier aren't going to go for it. I think this is something NVIDIA should have addressed from the start. And they would be best equipped to do it because they have all the advantages in volume and whatever. So I don't think it's going to happen, though, even though it's plausible it could because it just doesn't make sense anymore. In fact, Manlean, there will be a link in the description, is making supposedly there's a leak of this like AutoCAD drawing, a blower 4090. And I <laughs> first thing I checked is what's the TDP? It said 450 watts. So Manly is making a 450 watt blower. So I think that tells you they probably have no intentions of making a sub 400 watt 4090 cheapo edition anytime soon from any of these companies. Wouldn't you agree? I, I mean, I just don't get what the I, I, I get shaving off cost on the on the uh, cooler itself could allow them to sell it for cheaper. But I just don't know if I quite get if my understanding of how AIB's relationships work. I just don't know if I get the reason why they would want to sell a a, a card at that's below like the advertised specs of uh, uh of the forty ninety or forty eighty. It's where, not entirely un um an unforeseen or un unprecedented thing though, Dan. There were those uh ITX versions of like six seventies that I believe were clocked lower but had faster memory and played hmm. with they tried to hit the same performance, but it's like, could they do that though? You know, I, but that's a little bit different because I don't think they're any cheaper really than the competition. And, and I think you're also in once again, though, I, I, I get the idea of like, well, the founders editions are going high by essentially pre overclocking all of their cards. Maybe our best option is going low. And I don't know, maybe that is an option. Uh, and I just don't understand the uh, economics well enough about it. But to me, it kind of just sounds like they're they're at a lower they're the ceiling that AIBs can hit just keeps getting lower. Uh, the difference between the ceiling and the floor of what they can offer keeps getting lower and lower as Nvidia presses their cards more and more out of the factory. Yeah, and so if you wanted to have a successful business, I think most people in the boardroom would say, we made the best cooler, we can charge 1800 It would be a better move than we're going to cheap out on the cooler, have razor-thin margins, and sell for 1500 Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, the cooler might not do much, but you can advertise objectively better things like better thermals, even if you don't get much out of those better thermals anymore. <laughs> Well, remember, if a device hits 95C, it explodes. Unless it's Intel, then it's okay. Um, Stino764 writes in and says, Hi, Tom and Dan. I was wondering if you think AMD and NVIDIA will keep producing GPUs in the TDP range of 125 watts and lower, or do you think that space will be left to APUs soon? If you do think it will be left to APUs, would that be enough for an incentive for Intel and AMD to give iGPUs and their APUs a bit more power? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> because the do-it-yourself APU market is niche compared to laptop and they're designing all these APUs for laptop first mm -hmm. um, and but to answer your question there's going to be 125 watt lower cards forever it's just they'll become more rare in how often they release them and the, yeah they're I mean we, ARC 6400 just came out but what did it replace like it was a while until AMD made something yeah, solid good. there it's like I mean yeah we have the 6400 and the 6500 XT which Look at how well that went. I, like, I just, I think they're going to still exist, but it's like they're going to be afterthoughts when they come out. 
Right. It's just not as much of a focus anymore for, for many reasons, including APUs. But again, when you say, well, will we make APUs stronger? Yeah, I don't know. You see all these people bragging about Rembrandt's integrated performance and even Saison to this day or like someone overclocked like the RDNA 2 iGPU and Zen 4 with only two compute units to like three gigahertz or higher. And they're like, look, it's actually close to like an MX250 or whatever. I, I, I don't remember what it was. And it's like... <laughs> You know, the point of an APU is to get the job done when it comes to graphics. And as far as I can tell, Rembrandt and certainly Phoenix next year will get the job done. Will not be good at 1440p. It will do 1080p medium without a problem, though. And with that in mind, that's good enough for most people. If you want better, you probably want a lot better. But if it crosses the threshold, I think AMD doesn't really care and that's good enough right because it's built for laptop so why make it stronger for desktop if it can already do 1080p anyways and that's a niche market yeah <laughs> All right. it, and it's just i i don't know those 125 watt tdp cards are just a lot less or sub 125 watt tdp cards are just a lot less desirable in this current market where i don't know when we got in to mm-hmm. pc gaming it was like Half of the cards you'd see recommended are sub 125 watt. The the 6850, I believe, was around there or lower. And the uh, I mean, 6670 was a legendary budget graphics card for like $80 that could do, at the time, remember everybody, 1080p was high res, could do 720p or 768p is actually what it would typically be. 60 frames, no issue. And that was the standard resolution of the time. And it was like 80 or 70 bucks and didn't need a, any power yeah. connector. Times I have mean, changed. And then you have cards like the 7770, 7750, 560, mm-hmm. every freaking variant of the 560 that came out. Or I should say the uh, Fermi 560, like the 560 SE, which was... Well, those were 180 watt. Oh, those... Oh, sorry. 560. Well, at least the 60 Ti was. I don't, I don't remember what the 560 was. I guess I should check now that I've opened my mouth. <laughs> the uh, Well, and I was also thinking of the 550, 550 Ti, which was heavily recommended. Okay, I'm not stupid. What was that? It's five, it's 150 watts okay. for the 560. Remember, we're talking about Fermi here. Well, yeah, and then you have the 550 Ti 650, which we thought those were relatively stupid cards at the time, but people recommended them and bought them. And drove. But, you know, that is a good point, though, because your overall point stands. Like, we talk about how power consumption's gone up, and it's like, yeah, okay, maybe you were wrong. It wasn't 125 watts, but still 150 watts for a 560. Now it's considered efficient if the five if the 60 class is below 180 watts. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's it's just times have changed. They will always make things below 125 watts. It's just going to be every other generation probably or every few years. It's not going to be, we have to make sure we dominate this segment anymore. To quote Jensen Wang, Moore's Law's dead. <laughs> That's right. And thank you again, Jensen, for sending everybody to our channel. That (laughs) definitely boosted our viewership for a few days there. All right. Let us then move on to not a sub-125 watt GPU, but a sub-450 watt efficient GPU, RDNA 3, with story number three. AMD announces the $1,000 RX 7900 XTX and $900 7900 XT with DisplayPort 2.1 and soon FSR 3.0 fluid motion technology. And I have a, I'm just going to quote from Tech Power up here. It's a long write-up, but it summarizes it. So I think we have to do this before we go through the conversation properly. AMD today, meaning when, you know, when they announced this was November 3rd, announced 
the Radeon RX 7900 XTX and Radeon RX 7900 XT gaming graphics cards debuting its next generation RDNA 3 architecture. The two new cards come in at $1,900 respectively, basically targeting the $1,000 high-end premium price point, lesser so than the new kind of standard $1,500 enthusiast price point. Both cards will be available on December 13th, not only the AMD reference designs, which is sold through NBA.com, but also custom design variants with many board partners on the same day. ABs are expected to announce their products in the coming weeks. AMD claims that the Radeon RX 7900 XTX offers a 70% performance increase over the RX 6950 XT, but did not really focus on the 7900 XT that much in terms of performance. Both the 7900 XTX and 7900 XT are also using PCIe 4.0 interface, Gen 5 is not supported with this generation. The 7900 XTX also has a typical board power of 355 watts, but 95 watts less than that of the RTX 4090. The reference design 7900 XTX uses a conventional dual 8-pin power connectors, uh, and so will custom design cards when they come out. And these board partners have created units with three 8-pins. I've got a link in the description of an Asus one that's already being shown off. Um, for a higher out-of-the-box performance and better overclocking potential. And the decision to not use 16-pin connectors that NVIDIA uses was made well over a year ago, according to AMD. I can back that up, too. They, At least what I heard is they were never planning to use the 16-pin as standard. Oh, yeah, I, I'm sure that was just a... Hey, there's another thing we can turn into a marketing thing. <laughs> yeah, but there's been... This wasn't, like, because of the NVIDIA thing, and no... There's also been some people that said that like AMD made this decision last minute that they were going to use 16 pin the whole time. Mm. It was always going to be dual eight, pin. I've been talking about this for two years, guys. So no, it was always going to use two eight pins. I did hear of one AIB considering briefly to use the 16 pin on the highest end model. That's it though. It's almost all eight pins all the time with the design of this card. Anyways, though, the reference 7900 series board design is the same length card as the 6950 XT, but it's just about one millimeter longer at 28.7 centimeters. It is also a strictly 2.5 slot thick card. There's some white illuminated elements which are controllable using the same software as on the Radeon RX 6000 series. How fun. And both cards feature two DisplayPort 2.1 outputs, one HDMI 2.1A, and one USB-C. This is AMD's first attempt at a gaming GPU made of chiplets as well. The company has built MCM GPUs in the past, but those were essentially just GPU die surrounded by HBM stacks and using Crossfire or SLI technology. The new Navi 31 GPU at the heart of the 7900 XTX and XT features seven chiplets, a central large around 300 millimeter squared graphics die, and then that's surrounded by six memory channel slash infinity cache dies. The GCD is built on TSMC's 5 nanometer EUV fabrication process, whereas the MCDs are built on TSMC's 6 nanometer process. And let me just skip ahead here. The GCD contains the GPU's main graphics die and features 96 RDNA 3 unified compute units uh, for a total of... I think they have that wrong there, stream processor count. Don't they, Dan? Oh. <laughs> Yep. But yeah, so 96 CU for this XTX, 84 for the XT. AMD also announced FSR 3.0, the latest generation of its performance enhancement featuring fluid motion technology. This is functionally similar to DLSS 3 frame generation, promising a 100% uplift in performance at comparable quality, essentially because the GPU is generating every alternative frame without involving its graphics rendering pipeline. 
The new dual independent media acceleration engines enable simultaneous encode and decode for AVC, HEVC formats, hardware accelerated encode and decode for AV1, and AI accelerated enhancements. The new AMD Radeon's display engine introduced native support for DisplayPort 2.1 with 54 gigabit per second display length bandwidth, not 80, not the full, by the way. Mm. Uh, but this still allows you to go up to 8K, 165 hertz, or 4K, 480 hertz. I suppose AMD can be forgiven. We're not supporting 1,000 hertz 4K monitors yet. <laughs> so there's all the stuff I also leaked in the release day video. Um, my little teaser there for RDNA4's release date. It, they were going to try to launch it beginning 2024, late 2023. It now sounds like it's been a little bit redefined and coming mid-2024 at the earliest. And most people I've talked to actually over this the weekend told me probably late 2024 so a standard like one and a half to two year cycle but mm -hmm. there is an rdna3 plus this has been publicly confirmed by amd to be in strix apus we know they're working on that there is a chance and we'll get into it that there could be an rdna3 plus next year instead of rdna4 um an rdna4 is expected to be another big increase by the way guys using like three nanometer and so on and so forth but uh okay there we go dan what were your thoughts on the RDNA 3 reveal? Oh, uh, I'm trying to think, like, uh, how how to start this. I mean, I guess... Because there's I'll a just, lot they showed off. It wasn't yeah. just the specs. I'll just say my top-line feelings while I was watching it at first were I started out being like, uh, when they showed the 70% performance, or I shouldn't say 70%, 1.7x performance uplift, I was like, Eh, or up to 1.7x it's like yeah okay and then i was a little disheartened when i saw they when they said for some reason 1.6x uh performance uplift for ray tracing even though it seems like it's somewhere between 40 and 80 percent so hopefully it's on the high end for the ray tracing they, performance right, which they said 96 compute units 50% better ray tracing per compute unit, leading to about an 80% ray tracing uplift, which if that's true, means the ray tracing uplift is slightly more than the raster, meaning it shouldn't hold back performance. But we, I, the ray tracing talk is weird. We're going to have to wait for reviews on that. I, I have my own thoughts on that, I, but please continue. I, it, it, well, top line, it's really hard for me to guess exactly where this will land, uh, com uh, where this will land in performance. I mean, I feel like the 4090, uh, People did a relatively good job of combing through what their presentation meant, even though there was a lot of BS in it. And I think this uh, this uh, reveal had more NVIDIA levels of BS for like an unveil than I'm used to from AMD. But uh, I, I think they were a little bit modest with some of the things they showed off. Mm -hmm. So hopefully they're being somewhat honest with how they're showing it. But I'll say like, so at first I was a little bit let down especially by the ray tracing performance then i saw the price tag and i was relieved that they're not trying to push like the 7900 xdx to 12 or 1300 dollars or something stupid like that so i think it's hard to say exactly where this will land but to me it looks like in raster performance it'll probably get close to matching the 4090 probably be a little weaker uh Ray tracing is probably going to be more in between the 4080 to 4090, if I had to guess. But 
Maybe we're talking about two, the 4080. We'll see. Yeah, we're, we still have, and we're talking about two unlaunched cards in that sentence. So who knows exactly where it lands? But yeah, I I think you'll probably expect something close-ish to the 4080 for ray tracing, I guess. And at that, it's two hundred dollars cheaper than uh, what the the MSRP of the uh, 4080. So while they're not taking the performance crown, I think they're offering something that gets you pretty close to the value of a 4090 for 60% the price, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I want to touch on that too, because the ray tracing, this is a thing where a lot of people are asking me to like double down on certain opinions or like, will it do this? Will it actually end up doing that? And I'm just not ready to, this is one where when I saw the 4090 announcement, I, I maybe I'm just used to this, but I'm used to NVIDIA's bullshit. So I just was like, yeah, yeah, bullshit, 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 bullshit. And I just was like, oh, it's the performance I thought. They're going to roughly double its CPU bottlenecks. So there'll be times where it's only 70%. But if you in some games it's going to double performance. Some games it over doubled actually than the 3090. Um, some games it doubled the 3090 Ti. So I was like, eh, it seems about what I expected. Looks good. When I look at this thing from RDNA 3. I would caution people against saying AMD sandbagging here because I think there's a lot of people, especially some you know leakers who got everything wrong, who are like going out and saying, oh, it's actually going to end up doing all this stuff. And it's like, I think in some ways, AMD are probably downplaying things. But I have to say probably. And if you're comparing this to AMD sandbagging with Zen 4, they said over, over, over 15%. I, you know, over 50% single-threaded performance increase over this, over that. Here they're saying up to a lot. So yeah, I, I I think this idea that they're sandbag sandbagging is I I think it's maybe flawed. they are a little bit, but I think the better way to put it would be they're being conservative and do not expect Zen four level sandbagging. Don't. I just think when you have language like up to uh, that means that means to me they they could potentially be trying to hype up performance and hope you don't notice that they're saying up to. In some mm-hmm. context, because when I see up to 70%, uh, 1.7x, that to me sees, uh, says, all right, so we're expecting somewhere between 1.5x and 1.7. So it's probably like closer to 60% over a, seven, a 6950 XT, which remember, actually, my early weeks were regarding the 6900 XT, so add 10% to that. That means compared to the 6900 XT, which I do believe they have a stronger model, at least one coming next year. Um, whether this generation or RDNA 3 Plus, we can get into that, Um, that they're still bringing 70 to 80-something percent increase over the 6900 XT Mm -hmm. in raster, and over that probably in ray tracing, probably 80% or more in ray tracing. So it's not bad, but anyone expecting this to secretly beat the 4090, I I, I don't think so. And I I do have to say one thing, more thing too, like uh, when it comes to raster and ray tracing performance, like, I think I I would prefer a landscape like this where there's mm. somewhat more modest. You know, this it's not like this is a nothing increase. This is still a good generation over generation increase in performance. Um, I think I would prefer somewhat more modest gains uh, if that means we're sticking to reasonable levels of power usage and not skyrocketing prices, which mm-hmm. at least. Nvidia only tried to press at a hundred more dollars this time around, but at the top end, but in the mid range, <laughs> the mid range, they're just, I, I, I don't know what they, I, I don't know what they're trying to do at the mid range with Nvidia. Uh, 
because I, well, I don't know where the mid range is even going to end up with them at this point, but you know, AMD is, yeah, yeah, AMD is sticking with $1,000 at their top end product. And we'll see what the 7,900 XT turns out to be because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of those cards where it's just almost there to try to push you to get to the strong, most people to get the stronger card. Because it's like, oh, it's only $100 more, and it's already $900. I think you have to understand that the way AMD has been kind of pricing their lineups lately, a lot of it is more directly linked to margins than NVIDIA, who seems to like pretending things cost this much and not making any of them. Whereas AMD's (laughs) like, hey, look, yields on 5 nanometer are fantastic. Uh, so we don't have that many that are 900. And frankly, the only reason this thing costs a hundred dollars less to sell you is where do we remove some of the Ram in addition to slightly yeah. lower cooling costs? Like, I, I think that that's why the pricing is so similar. Cause they're like, even if it ends up 15% weaker or 20%, it costs almost the same to make. The only reason it doesn't is because we removed some Ram <laughs> in accordance with the disabled <laughs> units. So yeah, I mean, let me let me throw this in here. So Wasp Machine Man NL says, did any of you expect RDNA 3 to have greater than 3 gigahertz clock speeds like I did? I have a water-blocked 6900 XT Toxic Edition that does 2.8 gigahertz plus all day. Would have been nice to see RDNA 3 clock higher than that. I will answer for myself. I'm not a liar. I expected at least around 3 gigahertz, but I didn't expect it to be above 3.2. There are a lot of people hyping up like 3.54 gigahertz fantasies. Yeah, because I I could have believed 3.5, but I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought 2.9 to 3.2 is what I was expecting, and I was surprised to see those clock speeds. Because I'm forgetting exactly. It's 2600 now, correct? Or 2.5, it depends which clock you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, 2.5 is a bit disappointing. I was hoping for at least 2. I think that's the front end. I think the shaders are 2.3 gigahertz. So it depends what you're looking at, but it's like a hair above RDNA2's clock speeds, it seems like. Yeah, I I mean, uh, yeah, I was hoping for like at least least 2.6, somewhere between that and 3, I guess is what I was hoping for. And I don't know, when you start talking about like what greater than 20% performance uplifts in a single generation, I get a little more skeptical. I mean, it can happen, but Mm -hmm. uh, then when we're talking about, I don't know, uh, the stratosphere uh, and performance in clock uplifts, it's like, well, that's like telling me uh, the 4090 is giving, is going to give us four times stronger performance than the 3090 Ti. It's like, Mm -hmm. all right, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it you know yeah and i mean at the end of the day i was always told that rdna3 the original design goals were to add a minimum boost performance by like 50 percent, and that they thought maybe they could hit double Mm -hmm. that's always what i heard i never heard this 3x bullshit even from my sources farther down the change shall we say so not like working on the products but working with people it was always maybe they can get above double, but not even to 2.5x. Like no one really expected even that. So again, anyone who's like, oh, well, this is going to do that. No, I, they, that was never the plan. Um, but what they've shown is above a 50% increase. And I do believe they can hit three gigahertz probably. I do actually. I think they can at least get another 10% clocks. They're not even using the fastest RAM or even second or third fastest RAM on the market to be clear. 
And they haven't even stacked Infinity Cash on top of it, which I confirm they can do and Angstronomics confirm they can do. So there's definitely room to get to double the performance. They're just choosing to not do that yet. But that's another thing is in, in some interviews, AMD seems to have confirmed that it was designed to hit three gigahertz, but they're just not going to on the reference. I even saw, I think it was Frank Azure say directly in an interview, he goes, the reference model's the bottom, AIBs are going to be faster. Well, I, I mean, hopefully we see OC models that like hit 2.83 gigahertz or something, then that would be awesome. And if not, I mean, I, I, I think there's certainly a lot of room for them to go with a 7950 XTX or something if they want to. So, <laughs> Well, I've been thinking about this. Why do we keep saying that, Dan? Why, If they can stack Infinity Cash, why wouldn't they call it the 7950 X3D? Um, I mean... It's a good brand name, right? People already I like think the, the 5800 brand, X3D. I think the brand name, at least with the 5800 X3D, is pretty positive. So, yeah, if they do, if they start uh, if they 3D stack. stacking cash, yeah, I could definitely see them doing that. Although I do have to say, they, I, I'm a bit worried that AMD could get to a point where there might be brand confusion between the naming of their CPUs and GPUs because they're getting awfully similar. <laughs> Oh, I think we're already there. So, you know, why stop now? But um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I mean, but a note I just said, if they stack cash, because I have thoughts on if they're going to Steve Box TM writes in, I guess he's trademarked his name. Mm. He says, hello, Tim and Don. Looking at the RDNA 3 launch and alleged specs, I was fairly impressed, but also slightly disappointed. AMD doesn't appear to be pushing their top two cards, at least for now, all that hard. It makes sense for business reasons, of course, but especially with ray tracing, I was hoping for a little more. All that said, I'm still leaning towards a 7900 XTX rather than a 4090. I'm wondering how you think AIBs will fare in possible water-cooled configurations and how close we can expect overclocked 7900 XTXs to come to the 4090 and raster in ray tracing. So the ray tracing is a different answer. I want to get to that in a second. But it's funny. What I, I Actually, this some of this response I wrote ahead of time, Dan, is a little outdated. I said I don't have anything in writing regarding this, but I am told at least a few AIBs are preparing 4090 coolers, triple eight pins, and 400-plus watts. I have a link in the description now where Asus is literally confirming that. So there in writing. Uh, But I wouldn't be surprised, though. Let me say this. And I've also been told at least one AMD only AIV is considering a 500 watt card. Mm -hmm. So all I'm saying is if there's a 500 watt AIB card, I would hope it hits three gigahertz from 2.3 if they're pushing up power that much. Um, but what I'm really curious about though, is if three gigahertz isn't hard to hit because AMD says they designed it for this, but it requires 500 Watts of cooling. I'm wondering if that's because they have to cool five nanometer and six nanometer at the same time, which have different thermal expansion coefficients. So I wonder if there's something where you have to keep it extra, extra cool, kind of like with HBM on the Fury, where they water cooled that, even though it used about the same amount of energy as the top Pascal cards, just because it kind of required for stability reasons to stay cooler than Pascal. I wonder if there's something there and AMD realized, mm. oh, so wait, to get to three gigahertz, we don't just need to have better cooling. We have like double the cooling, not worth it for a reference model. Um, that's what I'm wondering. It's either that I would suggest, or I think that's best case scenario, or AMD tested it at three gigahertz and they only got a 10 to 15% boost in performance, not a 20 to 30% like you would expect. And so they said, oh, so if we add infinity cash on top, that adds a bunch of cost. And if we 
need this cooling also at three gigahertz and we're only getting 20% more. Is this worth adding two grand card or something at that? Like, is that worth doing that? And, and it's, and I, and, and there's something here I would suggest where AMD thinks it's not worth the headache, at least not yet, or at least not with some more effort put into it, because rest assured, there is a reason AMD isn't launching these guards at three gigahertz at stock. If it was an obvious reason to do it, they would have done it. Yeah. I, I, and I don't know. There's a bunch of things. It could be, I guess, like, like you said, it might just not give them better performance. I don't maybe this, Yeah. And maybe it, it, these cards need to stay at like 70 degrees or something. I don't know. Or it, <laughs> I, maybe, uh, they're, I mean, I, I guess NVIDIA ripped off the Band-Aid of 450 watts. I guess there's no reason AMD couldn't try to match them at 450 watts. Uh, aside from maybe it's still weaker than the 4090 at 450 watts or something stupid like that. And it's just not worth taking the performance loss and having a way less efficient card. At least not in their opinion for reference. Yeah. But if it, you were someone like, let's say, Sapphire... And maybe they could just buy the more expensive memory. Like, it's out there. It's been out since July. 24 gigabit per second from Samsung. This is what they did with the 7970 gigahertz. They just bought faster RAM. Like, it's out well, there. They can or, do this. Or, or they, yeah, they could revive, like, they could the do a toxic version of it where those toxic versions of some of their older cards were essentially just different cards. Different cards. I mean, like, and if they want to push, an AIB wants to push it to 500 watts, go for it. Uh I'm happy that the standard is not absurd, though. <laughs> yeah, right. And I'd rather live in a world where that's the case and it kind of makes it more fun. And AMD has left enough room here in pricing where they can do it. So let's say they buy 24 gigabit per second memory. It's just boom, snap your fingers. You got 20% higher bandwidth now. And then they push this. I don't know if it'll hit three gigahertz, but let's say they push this to like 2.8 gigahertz. You get about 20% clock speed increase. And then it's a 450 watt card. I mean, the RAM difference in costs, probably not even a hundred bucks. Uh, and then you add, yeah, then you add the extra cooling at another hundred. It's, it's conceivable. The toxic could be twelve, thirteen hundred dollars in boost performance by 15%. And that would firmly go toe to toe with the 49 in raster. And actually that's the funny thing too. So if we're looking at, it's, it's funny how percentages work because it becomes a runaway effect. If, let's say it's 60% stronger than the, uh, 6950 XT. Okay. Multiply that by 1.15, 80% better. I mean, if they even hit 20% above that and, and it actually averaged out to 65, it's conceivable the toxic could double previous gen yeah. performance just by adding 15 to 20% more. But yeah, it'll cost an extra $300 and it, you'd want Sapphire to handle the warranties because they're better at it. But what I would suggest is I don't think it's going to add 30% because if it would have AMD would have done it. Yeah. Right. Does that make yeah. sense? And then moving forward, the other thing I wanted to bring up is like ray tracing. So the ray tracing one's weird because the way AMD portrays it is actually more honest than the way NVIDIA did. NVIDIA is complete nonsense. They said two to four times better, showed a marble demo and then like a race car ray trace demo. Those aren't real games you're going to play. And then they showed a bunch of benchmarks where it didn't even double performance, even with ray tracing on sometimes. Yeah, I know. So... Just keep that in mind when AMD says ray tracing 80% better per compute unit. They're not talking about like 
theoretically, I don't think at least we'll have to see in reviews. That's why I say let's wait for reviews. But I, I, I want to mentally prepare people for the option that AMD saying in ray traced games, you can get 80% better performance, real games. We're not saying like Quake RTX. It's maybe it is double or more in Quake RTX, but they don't see that as a real use case. And NVIDIA's two to four X was complete bullshit. Like, yes. Yeah. Okay. In one scenario, that's a demo that's only ray tracing NVIDIA quadrupled ray tracing. But in real ray trace games, it's double. Well, and the 4X was with DLSS 3.0 on. Oh, so. right. And with DLSS 3.0. So it's just yeah. before you, because I've seen a lot of people attacking me for like the ray tracing thing. It's like, let's, let's see what the ray tracing is. Because <laughs> I think as far as I can tell, AMD raised ray tracing enough to not hold back the raster. I think, but I want to wait for reviews because the way AMD talked about it was a little, a little odd to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Chasey Dog writes in and he says, I'm looking to upgrade my RTX 2080 Ti sometime in the next six months, and I'm considering going AMD this time around. My current power supply is 750 watts, so I'll likely need to upgrade the PSU. I don't think you will. And he go unless you have like a 300 watt. Even then you might be okay. <laughs> but if you have like an i9, maybe you will. But I would say if you don't, you're probably okay. But he goes, um, now that we know the 7900 series, at least the reference design will not be using the 12-pin connector, what are the advantages or disadvantages of going with an ATX 3.0 power supply? I'm guessing that long-term it's a better option, but are there any downsides? Well, Intel's been pushing this new standard for power supplies as well, and there's no downsides. Don't worry. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've never heard of any. Uh, Jimmer writes in and he says, hello, Tom and Dan, and especially Reese. I'm terribly disturbed by something. It is my understanding that the 7900 XTX uses PCIe Gen 4 to connect to the motherboard. So AMD makes the chipset. They require Gen 5 for the graphics card slots, NVMe storage for extreme chips. And yet this time there are no Gen 5 NVMe's nor graphics cards to use with AM5 this year. (laughs) But the extreme motherboards are extremely expensive. I feel snookered. Well, I assume that's because you bought one. But if you ask AMD, the reason they went only DDR5, the reason they have PCIe 5.0 options with support for NVMe 5.0 natively without taking uh, lanes away from the express slot like NVIDIA, uh, Intel requires you to with Z790, um, it's meant to be future-proofed. You buy an AM5 motherboard and throw in Zen 6. That's why they're doing it, right? You mm-hmm. don't need to, it's- though. Yeah, it's supposed to last through 2025, 2026, probably. So. Yeah, so, so that's why they're doing it. You shouldn't feel snookered. No. But I do want to take this to address. I was told, by, this was a miss I had that no one's brought up, but I'll, like Silas in the Da Vinci Code, let me flagellate myself here a little <laughs> bit and say, I was told by everyone that it would have PCIe 5.0 support, and I leaked that to you and I was wrong. Now, I don't believe I put it in like, I don't know, maybe I did in one of the leaks, but I don't believe I ever like doubled down and it was like, oh, 5.0, 5.0. But I did mention it, at least in white text. I remember that. And I'm surprised. Everyone I asked said it would. So I don't know, Dan. Is, uh, you were surprised too by that, though, I imagine? I guess. I mean, it's just a, a, one of those things where like, I don't think it matters that much this generation, but. Yeah. So you ultimately don't care either way. Yeah. My suggestion would be, RDNA 3 plus will if it comes out, but that something happened with cost savings where they're like, why do we care? Mm-hmm. You know, um, Kelvin writes in and he says, hi, Tom, how do you see A&B competing with the 4080 considering the original price for the 4080 was $1,200? Do you think NVIDIA is going to change its strategy and drop pricing? Dan, gut check. Do you think NVIDIA is going to drop pricing on the 4080? 
I, I mean, I think they would figure out something to do before dropping prices, like release some slightly lower spec 4070 Ti or something that they can try to sell for eight or nine hundred dollars before they would outright say the twelve the 4080 is only a thousand dollars now or something. Yeah, because AMD did the debating thing with RDNA 1, which who knows if that really was planned ahead of time. I, if I remember correctly, it was kind of like they weren't afraid to do it, but it, no, they didn't just know they were going to do that. Um, I don't know that NVIDIA has ever really done that. The, the closest I can come up with, which a lot of people do compare RDNA 3 against Lovelace, uh, uh, similar to HD 4000 versus GTX 200 series. Like two weeks after Lovelace came out, they or not Lovelace, the GTX 200 series came out or something, or a month, uh, they dropped the prices on all those flagship cards. That's the only thing I would say is, I think they clearly can see the 4090 doesn't need a price drop. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder if they would drop the price of the 4080 to 900, and then drop a 4080 Ti based on 8102, maybe with 20 gigabytes of RAM for like 1200. I don't know, though. Well, if they do, they have to do it quickly, I think. <laughs> they have a week, yeah. Uh, but you don't think they will? No. I don't either. Timo writes in and he says, Hi, Tom and Dan. Now that the 7900 XTX is announced in a very impressive package, I have concerns about the delayed launch to to December 13th. This is far after the 4090 and even about a month after the 4080 comes out. How do you think this will affect supply? Obviously, does NVIDIA still hold an edge for being available for so long before Christmas time? And, uh, you know... A lot of people I talked to at AMD and and AIBs that work with AMD, they were like, they didn't even really want to launch RDNA 3 this year. Mm. Like, they think it's a horrible time for high-end products. So I think AMD decided they have to launch this year. They said they would. They should have an answer. And that's why it's coming out later. And uh, frankly, this is the year to get rid of Zen 3 and RDNA 2 stock. Me and you both have Zen 3 CPUs in our system now. And I got it for like almost half MSRP. You got yours for two-thirds MSRP, mm-hmm. right, of the the 5900X. I think that's what people want right now in a recession. But at the end of the day, that's the focus. That's why they're launching it so late because they don't think it's really should be the priority yet. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, all I can say about volume is they're making a ton of these cards compared to, certainly compared to the 4080 and I think compared to the 4090. So I think week one's going to be spotty, but I think like Christmas week, there's going to be a lot of cards. <laughs> it's just, it's not going to be November because it's coming out December. And I would expect a lot of RDNA 3 supply in January. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Richard and Paul writes in and he says, Hi, Tom and Dan. What are the chances that Blackwell ends up being a 6,000 series product if AMD releases the RX 7800 XT based on Navi 31 and 7700 XT uses full Navi 32. Essentially, my question is really this. What's the chance that NVIDIA is forced to respin Lovelace lineup as a new generation under a year like they did with Theramy in order to resolve their lineup segmentation issues? Um, I think it's a real possibility. They did it with Theramy. It's a possibility. Well, it's something I, I we've think, talked about a lot too. I think. I, I think they'll just do that soft refresh thing again if they ha- do something though. You you think that after seeing the super series, which was so silly, it's just unlikely they really do this again. They just want to have one architecture, one generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll see. It depends. It depends if they really did build these to support GDR seven, like I was told by a couple of people they did. If they have. I think there's a suggestion that they just launch this, the 4080 being this. They launch like a $600 4070, a $500 4060, and then that's it. 
they wait eight months, redo the entire generation with GDR7 and try to fix mm-hmm. the lineup. But the, I, I think if there was ever a time for them to do it, it'd be this one. You know? Yeah. Um, Cole Addict writes in and he says, after watching your latest video on RDNA 3, then Adored TV is on the same subject. I had an interesting thought. What are the chances that AMD is preparing MCDs with GDR7 support for their graphics card refreshes next year? It's safe to assume they've already been working on RDNA 4, but do you have anything to share to your contacts or to just speculate for RDNA 3? Well, that's the thing, right? I know there's an RDNA, we know publicly there's an RDNA 3 Plus. I wonder if RDNA 3 Plus is just like a slight tweak and then they just use GDR6, uh, GDDR6 MCDs for the mid-range cards and then GDDR7 MCDs for the high-end cards and then only some of those have even used RDNA 3 plus in quotes. And a lot of them are just using like new MCDs. Some of them aren't, some of them are. It's a mixed match where they really only make like one new bigger die or something with RDNA 3 plus. That, that wouldn't surprise me if they do that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I could totally see that. <laughs> in hell, like, eh, I, I guess if they did a soft generation, they would probably make one new bigger die. But yeah, I, that's conceivable to me if they need to put out a newer generation sooner uh, than what two years from now probably and again you know i said i wanted to bring this up i'm now remembering it like they haven't stacked infinity cash on navi 31 yet maybe they realize with that the cooling stuff we talked about maybe the clock speed not scaling as well as they were hoping to issues maybe they realize they just need better cooling and until they figure out a good reference cooler for 400 watts, it's not worth stacking cash because that's just more cost on mm-hmm. top. Like, I think it's entirely conceivable an RDNA 3 Plus is still on 5 nanometer, if not 4 nanometer at most, or N4P, which is really just a tweaked 5 nanometer. And that all, yeah, all they do <laughs> is they take the same die, make little tweaks here and there, which is kind of what they did with the 3090X, the 390X over the 290X. The 390X actually had a redesigned memory controller for faster speeds. It's entirely conceivable they just fix their clock speed issues, call it RDNA 3 Plus, make GDR7 MCDs, and they just launch a 3 gigahertz edition with GDR7 boost performance by 35%. Boom. That's the 70, either call it 7950 XT, or they call that the 8950 XT. It's t- entirely conceivable they do that. Um, and, the, and then they just have like one RDNA 3 or two RDNA 3 Plus dies. It's very similar to what they did with the 2 to 300 series. Yeah. Um. Dot writes in, when do you think the RX 7950 XT and 4090 Ti will launch next year? Um, I think mid next year at the earliest, don't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know why they would come out with it in January or something. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I guess the only other thing to say, too, is that I just remembered, like, I think a Dord in his a recent video said that he doesn't think they'll do 512 bit. I actually heard some people they talked mm. to discussing they might, but... I think he said it just makes more sense to use faster RAM, or, and I agree with him. Oh, yeah, that might make sense. I mean, you know, over going 512 bit and trying to cram that in. Yeah, especially if GDR7 is go- or GDR7 is going to be available soon, uh, or even or- just faster GDR6, like 27 gigabits coming. So, yeah, that's true. Um, all right. Anything else, Dan? Any other thoughts on uh, RDNA three? You know, is the longer discussion in this episode? It should be. But uh, uh, no, I don't any- think so. Okay. No. Okay. At least, all right. There's it- not too much to say. I guess the last thing is there's their new uh, FSR 3.0, and there's 
nothing to say about it at this point, but I guess. Yeah, bring well, it up. I, yeah, there's the fluid motion tech, which I said in the video, if you want a technology that farts out dolly pictures every other frame, AMD is going to have an answer to DLSS 3. Yeah, I, so we'll see what that is. <laughs> yeah, but until we see it, I don't have much to say. And I think we've talked about DisplayPort 2.1 enough in recent episodes. So let's move, let us move on then to story number four. Sienna and Zen 4C leaked by Moore's Law is Dead, nearly Zen 4 IPC with double the cores per CCD. On October 26th, Moore's Law is Dead entirely broke down Sienna and Zen 4C in full. Sienna is indeed a 4,844-pin budget server platform launching to the, I think it's SP6 socket, second half of 2023, with a focus on being an economical replacement for Milan. Sienna offers six channels of memory support of DDR5, up to 64 Zen 4C cores with 70 to 225 watt TDP products that seemingly flat out beat Milan with a similar or even lower platform cost. That's right. Zen 4C seems to be almost double the Zen 4 cores per CCD with half the L3 cache and lower clocks, but otherwise the IPC seems similar, and that is why AMD is focusing this on Sienna. Uh, which let me uh, throw a quote on screen here. I actually, since that leak, I, I, in that leak, I talked about how all of the documents I've received only mentioned Zen 4C with Sienna. Since then, a source has gotten back to me and said, Sienna will not have Zen 4 as a standard offering if offered at all. And I'll be getting more feedback Monday. So unless I edit this last minute, which then you won't have heard <laughs> me say this, it, I'm getting multiple sources telling me it is Zen 4C only, which I think backs up the suggestion that the IPC is probably the same as Zen 4. But anyways, that's right. Zen 4C seems to almost double Zen 4 cores per CCD while keeping similar IPC at lower clocks. And it offers 96 PCIe Gen 5 lanes, 8 bonus, as they call it, PCIe Gen 3 lanes, and CXL 1.1 support, along with the same AVX 512 and SDCI accelerators Genoa offers. So, so far, Zen 4C, just to be very clear, is just 16 cores. Similar size CCD, same amount of L2 cache per core, probably same IPC, but it's around 3 gigahertz instead of around 5 point something gigahertz. And, uh, oh, I also confirmed that Genoa X and Bergamo are planning to launch quarter two next year and that the IO die is the same as Genoa, it turns out. So they're disabling the Genoa IO die. I think I said this on loose ends as well. Uh, they're disabling the Genoa IO die, which is a pretty big die anyway, so it makes sense why maybe they would save those for Sienna. And let me see, is there anything else here? And yeah, I guess the only other thing I would add to this before I throw it to you, Dan, is uh, I was told it is designed to support standard Zen 4. So my suggestion mm. would be from a marketing perspective, they just don't think there's a point in putting Zen 4 on this. They're like, if the performance is the same, this is going to be for lower cost things anyways, that would probably want 200 watts. Why put Zen 4 on it? I think Zen 4 on the SP6 socket may be Threadripper only late next year. Mm -hmm. That's my suggestion. So, yeah, this was actually, I think, a pretty huge leak. I mean, what'd you think? Uh, I mean, I, I, it's, I always have less to say about uh, server stuff just because I never buy it, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. But it, I, I mean, it sounds like an impressive, it, impressive that they're seemingly able to get similar IPC, uh, at least below 3 gigahertz with using essentially half the space and you know at super large scale uh, or 
large scale for th- threading of tasks. I don't know. It sounds like AMD continues to expand their repertoire of things that they can sell to uh, data centers. But that was really the biggest bombshell, right, from that leak is, hey, it seems like it has the same IPC and the dies maybe 10, 20 percent bigger. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's a very big surprise. I mean, I think it's hard to say, probably not, if this will expand outside of servers or it probably will to some extent at some point. But I, I just doubt something like that will keep up over uh, it, like the consumer. And so I think, I, I think their uh, C cores are probably going to stay at in uh, data centers for the most part, if they ever leave that. Well, they have done this before though, arguably with Renoir. Renoir had half the cache mm. and similar IPC, but guess what? It's in a laptop. They usually don't clock as fast, and if it lost some IPC at super high clock speeds, it wasn't an issue because most of the time in the laptop, it's running at 3.5 gigahertz anyways. Yeah, I mean, you never know. Maybe this replaces uh, their lower end, or this type of architecture replaces their lower end for laptops, or they everything is eight cores now or something in laptop, but... This fall, where you're trying to stay warm and avoid scary activation fees for Windows software, consider using CDKeyOffer.com. CDKeyOffer.com is a long-term sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead and its community for any time anyone in this community needs legitimate Windows keys and doesn't feel like paying excessive monopolistic licensing fees to get access to them. But that's not all they offer either. They also have great deals on play. PlayStation, Steam, Origin, and Uplay keys, and physical products like gaming chairs and keyboards as well. They are always running sales, but make sure you use the best codes possible provided for the Moore's Laws Dead community. Use the link in the description or on screen, and then use the code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Windows codes or die shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. This really does help Moore's Laws Dead when you use these keys and click these links, and it helps you pay reasonable prices for products that let's face it you just kind of need sometimes and you don't want to overpay for go to cdkeyoffer.com today so qh freddy writes in and he says you mentioned the idea of zen 4c in dragon range for high-end mobile workstations right that was the notion Mm -hmm. that hey maybe instead of 16 zen 4 cores they do 32 zen 4c and make like a 65 watt 32 (laughs) core laptop that's also a possibility i guess yeah and it's really niche, but like it is one of those things they could be like, hey, we use 65 watts now for 64 threads in a laptop where Intel's over here just, you know, at 100 watts. I mean, with like half the cores or less than half the cores. But he says, but what about a Zen 4C based APU? Could we have a 16 core, 15 or 28 watt APU? That seems like it's within the realm of possibility that would you have a 9 or 12 watt um and that they could also have a 9 or 12 watt 8 core. It seems like quite an attractive choice considering clocks on these low power APUs are already not very high and the average buyer probably pays way too much attention to just the core count number on the spec sheet. Yeah, so what I would say is I think the 8 core thing makes way more sense. Like I almost wonder if Little Phoenix uses just 4 cores and 4C. Like think about the well, die the, the savings thing I, you could save the, there. The the re- <laughs> maybe I guess the reason I said it, I assumed eight cores. I was like thinking like, is there even a, a reason for them to manufacture that 
<laughs> that small of a die, but <laughs> I guess that's a possibility. Like, or, or put that in, uh, I don't know, tiny laptops or tablets because well, I doubt that would use pair, any energy. Yeah, an eight core model. Uh, I did the math. I think an eight core Zen 4C might use five to 10 watts. I mean, you pair that, <laughs> you pair a 10 watt CPU. Yeah, it only runs at like 3.2 gigahertz, but it's eight cores and it has higher IPC than Zen 3. So you're getting pretty close to Saison laptop performance. And you pair that 10 watt CPU with a 25 watt 7500M. Yeah, that's. And you could have in total like 35, 40 watts in a netbook. And it's all of a sudden you've doubled performance in netbooks or over doubled, tripled maybe. That's, that's, you know. I looked at Van Gogh in the Steam Deck. I think Van, I think those processors only hit like three point something gigahertz. I don't think they hit four. Or like I don't think they boost that high. So then I go, yeah, I don't. The four core design for like APUs. Maybe they're not even scaling down from an eight core CCD to a four core of Zen four. Do you think maybe they're just going to scale down four core Zen four C because in any APU that's that low cost or budget, you might as well just use four core Zen four C and take up zero space and use two watts. Uh, these types of ideas it's like i i think that idea sounds cool i just don't know if anybody cares or or if there's any room in the market for something like that or if the benefit you would get out of it you uh, uh oem might just be like okay this exists but just give us an apu that uses 10 watts or something yeah, but like for the Steam Deck, for that's true. Ultra portable Surface tablets. That I mean, there's definitely a use for that. Yeah, but that's what I'm wondering is it's like if I'm designing Little Phoenix, and I'm forced to do some design work to scale to a four core CCD instead of an eight core. I think I'd rather just redesign a Zen 4C CCX because <laughs> it's going to be used in budget stuff anyways. Might as yeah. well do that. That's what I'm wondering. It's just food for thought. I don't have any confirmation on that, but I'm wondering like. Could they, in fact, actually succeed in making the Steam Deck 2 have, like, you know, whatever, eight RDNA 3 uh, compute units, but then just four Zen 4 seeing it actually uses less energy than the original Steam Deck. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, Brett Summers writes, and he says, Tom, due to your recent Zen 4C leak, it got me thinking. If AMD goes heterogeneous architecture like Intel has, and they use Zen 4C as a future e-core, wouldn't this just stomp Intel's e-cores? Will Intel be making a large jump to the Gracemont successor, or are they sticking to the general design philosophy of Gracemont? Um, I'd say, well, it seems like Gracemont Plus, actually, is what I call it in uh, <laughs> Raptor Lake, is basically Coffee Lake performance, but without hyper-threading. It even hits above 4 gigahertz now, so that's something. I, I think Zen 4C is basically Zen 3 performance. Keep in mind, lower clocks, mm-hmm. but higher IPC. And so, yeah, I think 16 Zen 4C cores would easily thrash Gracemont. And I think 16 Zen 4C cores would be two to three times the multi-threading of 16 Gracemont Plus cores. Well, maybe making the die 50% larger than Gracemont? Because Gracemont does take up a very small amount of room. But it's like, right, well, whatever then. So if you have 16 Zen 4C as the E cores, and they all have hyper-threading, yeah, it takes up 50% more space than the Gracemont cores in Raptor Lake, but it's also two to three times the performance. It could be, yeah, that could be nuts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and they can do all of it. AVX 512, all the normal stuff. They don't have to disable that. I think it would be worth, yeah, I, I, I don't know. 
<laughs> it seems just better, right? Yeah. All right. Let's move on then to story number five. AMD's answer to Raptor like DDR4 is officially cheap Zen 3 as they also officially pass Intel in margins. So I don't have a huge write-up, but I did want to uh, just go through these points. I think they're all related. I just think people need to be aware of them. Like number one, AMD has officially passed Intel in margins. Intel admitted this directly internally, and I leaked this a week ago on Twitter. You know, if you parse through Intel's earnings and AMD's earnings, you could have said that. But mm-hmm. Intel internally said, AMD's passed us in margins. We have to raise prices. This is a problem. That's so official, guys. AMD's making more money per Zen 4 unit sold than Intel is. Um, additionally, Zen 3 is by far dwarfing all other generation sales, according to every source I've talked to, is also backed up by Amazon bestsellers. Zen 3 is selling gangbusters. I have some sources telling me about how Zen 3 is selling more than Raptor Lake, Alder Lake, and Zen 4 combined times two. <laughs> like, Zen 3 is what people are buying Jesus. this fall, which is funny. Me and you both got Zen 3 CPs this fall. That's true. So, yeah. Anecdotally, you know. Uh, also, though, Raptor Lake does seem like it is outselling Zen 4 now, and I actually have something to put on screen with, like, Newegg reviews. This is something I've been watching for a week, like, is the amount of reviews for Raptor Lake products, which they group together, which makes it easy to see the total. Oh, okay. Does that get matched Zen 4? Obviously, it didn't at first, but it launched a month after Zen 4, um, and it seems like it's almost tied now, meaning Raptor Lake does seem to be outselling Zen 4 on the line sales. Which I'm generally told by sources as well on this. Although I have to say, it's not a, the slam dunk some people are saying. Some people are like, Intel crushes AMD in sales. It's like, Zen 3 is outselling Raptor Lake and Alder Lake combined, guys. And it depends on the SKU still. A lo- like, the 7950X is outselling plenty of the Raptor Lake SKUs. So I don't think Zen 4 is some sales failure. It's just lukewarm. Yeah, um, I, although it, Raptor Lake is outselling it. it it's hard to say. It, because I think this data is better than anecdotal evidence, obviously, but I, I just don't think it hits. There's no hard numbers that you can tie to anything yet. You can just say, like, when you look at Amazon bestsellers, uh, <laughs> uh, Zen 3 is dominating the chart. And, and I wouldn't say it's uniform that Zen 4 is selling bad. It's definitely selling way worse than previous generations. Mm-hmm. But if there were, like, 10 locations I talked to, two out of them said Zen 4 is outselling Raptor Lake. Okay. So this isn't like it's all bad news for AMD guys, like some people are making it sound like. But um, also officially, AMD has made the 5800X 3D $329, the 5900X $349, and the 5600 seems to be regularly $140 on Amazon, Newegg, and so on and so forth. So this is what they're doing with the remaining CCDs, guys. 8-core, <laughs> 5800X 3D $330, beating the i5 in performance easily by like 10%. Um, while well, offering it on a DDR4 platform, but if you want multi-threading, I I managed to get a 5950X for 450, but they seem to almost be discontinuing it. I think I got lucky. Mm. The 5900X is 350. That's what they're doing with the six-core CCDs. If you want more multi-threading, get a 5900X for 350. It crushes, you know, a lot of other Intel products in that price range while still using DDR4. And again, not needing the fastest DDR4 to do well, by the way. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I thought this was just something to discuss. Maybe not for that long, but like, you know, AMD has higher margins than Intel. AMD's actually taking market share from Intel, from what I'm hearing, not with Zen 4. 
But uh, that's just not the focus. And I do think they will do some bundle or price drop thing eventually with Zen 4 too. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just if we're talking about platform cost and Intel is still making the DDR4 option a thing for uh, Raptor Lake, I mean, it, it's worth talking about Zen 3 still and buying Zen 3 still in a lot of scenarios. Like, because if we're if we're looking at it, uh, if you're really trying to optimize price performance uh, or without going to the complete low end, I mean, I think the 5800 X3D, even if you're building new, is probably a better option than a lot of different than a lot of options you have right now. And a lot of DIYers that are just that uh, have built within the past five years probably already have a system that can support a 5800 X3D. Mm -hmm. so it makes sense that stuff like the 5600 5800 x3d and the 5900x are all selling super super well right now because if you're at the end of the day if the tasks you care about most are like gaming performance and maybe some and i don't know google browsing frankly it's like you're gonna get pretty much all the benefits you get out from the 3900k out of the 5800 x3d I mean, yeah, I guess if you're still gaming in 1080p, you'll get 6% better performance with the 3900K. Yeah, I have a link to a test uh, tech power-up did between the 5800X3D and the 3900K with the 4090, and they found in 1080p the around $600 i9 that uses triple the energy and requires DDR5 to get that better performance only wins by 6% against a 5800X3D where you can buy an $80 motherboard and DDR4 with. Yeah, so it's just like if you need productivity if you need to optimize for productivity i think like the 7950x or the uh 13700k are probably some of your best options right now because and i guess i'll throw in the 13900k even though i just think it's too hot but uh, <laughs> if that's not what your priority is like i don't see how zen 3 options don't fulfill your needs still mm -hmm. yeah and, and again, you know, I think we're seeing these. I have a link in the description to something I tweeted where they're they did it again one weekend at Micro Center. They gave away free RAM, thirty two gigs of free RAM if you buy an R nine or R seven Zen four, so seventy seven hundred X or up. And they gave an additional fifty dollars off the motherboard. And then if you use the Moore's Law's dead discounts, that's another fifty dollars you can get off. So a hundred dollars off and free RAM. You're getting the I, I CPU mean, for free. I mean. And, and you're seeing these pretty crazy bundles appearing on Newegg now, where it's like $200 off the motherboard. It's happening, man. I will say, though, new deals popped up on Micro Center recently. I think they're giving away free motherboards with Alder Lake, so. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's, certain, there's certainly good deals to be had right now. Or, I guess if you're trying to, if you're looking at it from a more negative point of view, there's deals that make things the price you think they should be. Yeah. Yeah, and so I guess I just think all of that's worth pointing out. Like, if you get the right deals, there's no excuse. If you want to upgrade now or build a system, there. This is the best. This is like the best time to build in like four years. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I know on paper some of it looks expensive, but they're giving away free RAM. They're giving away free motherboards with Alder Lake. Zen three is dirt cheap now. You got yeah, options, I'm, you guys. I yeah, and I, I just think it needs to be emphasized and i i guess consumers have generally speaking noticed this if what we're talking about is 
the best option you have to optimize for price with the new generation of stuff is Raptor Lake, which is on a data and playout format DDR4. You're you have all of the same arguments for why you would get Zen three still, and yeah, it, it, with not a massive generational uplift either. So I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, and I just kind of wanted to talk about this again, too, because one thing that really annoyed me is just, I thought it was obvious the way AMD would combat Raptor Lake with DDR4 is Zen 3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, this is what they're doing, and guys, they're outselling Intel, so I, Tom was right on that one, okay? Like, yeah, uh, I mean, if Raptor Lake and Zen 4 had like doubled core counts and gotten 20 percent higher ipc maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation but that's not what happened yeah (laughs) you know um all right qh freddy writes in and he says the 7950x runs at 95 degrees and everyone loses their minds then the 13900k runs at 100 degrees and draws 200 watts more power no one bats an eye what the heck gives i don't know man that really annoyed me the amount of people that just harped about the 95c thing with the 7950X. And then, like, as an example, I remember off the top of my head, then Gamers Nexus just says, oh, this is the new normal or something, I think, if I remember correctly. If he didn't, someone else did. He goes, oh, it's the new normal, though. What? You guys all put burning 7950Xs in your thumbnails. Intel makes a 100C one, and everyone just says, it's the new normal. Wow. To give credit, <laughs> I guess to give credit, uh, Hardware Unbox thumbnail for their review was the, this is fine me. <laughs> And yeah, I I don't know, uh, it, Tom. If you get the best cooler uh, AOI cooler available on the market right now, it its thermals are fine. So who cares? Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let us move on from that then to a story that people may have heard me hype up a bit on Sacred Symbols over the weekend. Mm. And also, you might have noticed in the thumbnail was a big story. I have a leak that I've basically been sitting on for six months or something <laughs> that you've known about for a while, right? That I've had all of this information regarding, is it meta? Is that how you say it? Met, yeah. Meta. Okay. I saw some people in the comments of Sacred Symbols say I was saying it wrong. I, I said meta. Yeah. It's meta. Yes. Well, get over it, everybody. It's meta then, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> I'm not. There's so many words I have to say that are all random crap. Come on. But meta... Um, and I see I spelled it wrong too in the uh title of this story, so that's cool. So I guess <laughs> nice. I you call me stupid, then guys, I don't care, but you're, it's just you're stupid, Tom. I'm just uh-huh. juggling a lot of stuff, okay? But meta, I've had a lot of meta information that I kind of danced around and talked about here and there, uh, for a while. And after seeing Sony announce the price of the PSVR 2, I thought it was time for me to leak at least some of it because I do think. It is important for the community. But let me get into that then. To story number six, Meta Quest 2 and 3 bomb cost leak, build materials that is, in the wake of PSVR 2 pricing announcement. So here's the write-up. On November 2nd, Sony announced that the PlayStation VR 2 was launching in February for $550. There's no way around it. This is more than anyone I talked to said it would cost. And to those that argue this was off in pricing estimations, well, we have a big leak for you today telling you guys how much this stuff actually costs to make. So I'll put this on screen. I just have the meta bomb cost for the Quest 2 
and the Quest 3 Stinson. Miramar, Miramar, I believe, is what the Quest 2 was codenamed. And then there's the Quest 3 coming out in 2023 or late 2023, uh, which is supposed to have a higher resolution display as well. I actually have a list of specs, but the specs come from about six months ago. So I don't want to go through it because I imagine some of the specs will change. Not all of them, but Mm -hmm. some of them. But at the end of the day, I don't think they're going to change by much. And this is what Facebook, now Meta, projected the costs would be. As you can see on screen, the Quest 2, not as of last year, not as of two years ago, as of early this year, costs $286 to produce, which means even with recent inflation, I can promise you Meta's making a 20% profit at their new $400 price point. And also note, and I've highlighted this, their bill of materials takes into account labor and even has a little overhead. The automotive company I worked at, we had margins. Mm. We would add that after, I think we had like a 7% overhead cost built in. Oh no, there's actually more than that. I think our overhead cost was like 40%. So we built in and factored in things like R&D to a certain extent. These companies do that, guys. So Meta's making money on that Quest 2. And what they did is a... It's interesting. I I can't show all the documentation, but what basically Meta did is try to uh, project where pricing could go on many different components, and then they broke it down into multiple columns, column B and column C. Column B is the lower cost option, and column C is the higher cost option where they may use better components. And so what I'm saying is it is a range. It is a range between if they cut corners and inflation gets better and shortages improve to what they think is the worst case scenario and if they use the most premium components. The Quest 3 will cost between $357 and $505 to produce, and I am told by a source that they are targeting about a $400 to $600 price point with the Quest 3 next year. Now, what needs to be noted, if you look at the comments column of this uh, bill of materials, is that, again, anyone would know this, it comes with 8 gigabytes of RAM, still in the next one. It comes with a Generation 2 XR2 Qualcomm SoC. So I'm not sure it's that much better than the Quest 2's uh, SoC, but it's maybe on a smaller, it's like a die shrink of what they're using now, I think. And they still have only 8 gigs of RAM, which is less than, I think, the 12 gigs in the Quest Pro they just announced. I'm not an expert on VR. But the point I'm trying to get to is, Either way, even if it's not a big upgrade in built-in performance, the Quest 3 has an APU, 8 gigs of RAM, storage, Bluetooth, wireless. Guys, none of that's in the PSVR 2. You can remove, I'm told, at least $90 from the cost if you were to remove all that stuff that PSVR 2 doesn't have. And remember, I think that the PlayStation VR 2 will have a nicer screen overall, but it is the the... Quest 3 is planning to have a higher resolution one, at least as of this build materials. You know, it's still a year and a half out or something, so maybe something will change. But mm-hmm. the point being that based on what I've gathered from talking to some people at Meta, I, I think the PSVR 2 probably costs $300 to $400 to make. And so when they're selling it for $550, they're making a good profit. Now, look, I'm not here to tell you there's anything wrong with that. I'm one of these channels that tries to make it clear these companies need to make this much money to pay these much people to spend on R&D. I know that Meta is in a place where they definitely need a profit per unit sold now because financials are hard at former Facebook. But 
I just want to get this leak out there because if there's any chance Sony claims this VR device costs that much to make, it doesn't. I just want you guys to know Sony was originally targeting three to four hundred dollars. They could still do it for four hundred and probably make a profit, a ten to twenty percent profit. But instead, I guess they're going for closer to forty percent profit margins. I just want to make that clear. And uh, yeah, outside of that, I think PSVR two looks really cool. All developers say it's awesome. I don't. <laughs> this is not a slam of Sony. It is, though, me preempting any claims they make about pricing and what it costs to manufacture it, because I think a lot of companies are making some bold claims about selling things at a loss that, based on documentation I'm getting from these companies, they are not selling at a loss. There's some recent Xbox claims. They're not selling it. No. Go on, Dan. Well, no, I wonder to just some extent if, you know, this just um, shows that the calculation that they have for, like, VR is fundamentally has to be different than uh, how consoles work, where consoles are generally speaking, at least for the beginning of a generation, sold yeah. at a loss. Which makes sense. You make money on software. Where I, I just wonder if they just don't have that same pricing calculation when it comes to VR. Like maybe they don't view, there isn't a super high attach rate or something with PSVR or what. Because I, I think there something has to be said about uh, the fact that they're selling it out of profit, not only selling it out of profit, but selling it at such a big profit, because I, I could see them not wanting to lose money on a VR unit like they do on a console when they originally sell it. But I don't know this. <laughs> the, if this thing costs like th- what, like three, 350 bucks to make, maybe that's a pretty damn big profit at $550. I mean, it's being sold for more than the console itself, which a lot of people have taken note of. <laughs> right. And on the recent Sacred Symbols Plus episode I was on with Colin, Chris, and Dustin, uh, friends of the show, of course, I, I think Colin actually may have been the one who brought this up or something, but like, it seems like Sony believes in VR more than most companies. I mean, Xbox yeah. is even making a VR device. But... This point you bring up about this calculation we make about like maybe consoles can be sold at a loss to make it up in software, maybe that's not the case with VR. But what that tells you, I believe, is they don't believe in it enough to go for it. Oh, yeah. If they thought they were going to make up this money in software, they would sell it at a 10% profit, maybe not at a loss, but a 10% profit at $400. And that would be enough for them because they think they're going to take the VR market. This to me tells me they are scared they won't and not willing to double down. Yeah, I, and I don't know. I would be surprised, but uh, maybe some of those other VR headsets made more money than the PSVR did, despite the PSVR having a lot more buyers. Mm-hmm. Well, Which, let me be clear about that too. I, I want to uh, put this quote on screen as well. Like, let's be very clear though: the Quest Pro is not for gamers, and it costs like six hundred to nine hundred dollars to make because of the pancake lenses and all the extra uh, sensors they put on it that they're not going to probably have in the Quest 3. That's what's so interesting, too, is mm. they have Quest 2, then Quest Pro, then Quest 3 actually doesn't even have all the features of the Quest Pro. So <laughs> Quest Pro is for business. It's the idea is you have these, because you've used my Quest 2. It has these black and white cameras so you don't bump into things if you're about to. And also they use that for sensing your movement. The Quest Pro can, I think, see in color and HD around you. The idea supposedly being you put on the Quest Pro and you can still use monitors and keyboards around you at the same time as stuff appearing. Uh, your face is indicating you think that's a dumb idea. I Let me just tell you, not everyone at Meta thinks it's a good idea either, but that's what they're selling. 
Um, yeah, okay. And the Quest 3 <laughs> won't probably have as good of cameras or sensors because it doesn't need them. And the, I think the controller is going to be cheaper as well. Oh, okay. I mean, so that's why the Quest Pro costs maybe 600 to 900 bucks to make. They're selling they're, for 1500 It's for business, distinctly. The Quest 3 actually is new. And also, that also throws in how I think inefficient they're being. So, new controllers for the Quest 2, new controllers for the Quest Pro, new controllers for the Quest 3. Meta, standardize your stuff. Come on, man. I mean, they use the PlayStation Move with PSVR 1. What are you doing? Um, I mean, Meta's not a gaming company. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe their engineers are just making stupid decisions at the start because they don't know how to properly. They don't properly. Well, understand I won't stand how- for you calling any engineer stupid as an engineer myself, Dan. I said they're making. Maybe they're making stupid decisions. I'm not saying they're stupid. I'm just saying okay. they're in an industry or they're moving into an industry that they haven't previously worked in. Well, which, I guess. I guess Facebook. True has worked in gaming i guess but it's all those like mobile games that everybody used to play in 2010 for some reason like a farm yeah, all our aunts were playing in the background on thanksgiving for some reason yes um but yeah so i don't know i all i can say is again i want to reiterate developers i talk to think that psvr2 is amazing that it is way better than the competition and that they, no matter if it's $550, I did ask a couple after this, um, like that they're like, well, all I can tell you is it's the most amazing experience ever. And with foveated rendering, it allows a $400 PS5 with this in total, still less than a grand to give you graphics you're just not getting uh, with any other sub grand setup. So I yeah, think that's, that's Sony's true. calculation. And I think they think that the Quest Pro gave them the cover to do this. That, uh, <laughs> that's definitely true. I mean, whether or not you want to argue if the PSVR 2 headset setup itself is, I mean, headset itself is overpriced. Maybe it is. I don't know. But uh, the entire setup might end up being cheaper. And I guess the next big question is if like big titles like Half-Life Alex come to PS5, because if they do, well, then I don't know. I, I think PS5, it might be the best place for VR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, or could be. Yeah, we'll but see. I have to say, now this was something I think me and Chris on Sacred Symbols agreed on. Is it's just like we had a Quest Two. You know, Colin's going to get a PSVR two, but he runs a PlayStation podcast, so of course he is. He has mm-hmm. to for his job. Um, but like me and Chris were like, you know, we both game on PC mostly. We already have a Quest Two. If they charge five fifty, I'm not going to rush out to get this though, even for like Horizon. Oh, I mean that's totally fair. If it was three hundred, I, I may have gotten a day one. I mean, I I don't think <laughs> I'm not saying I'm going to be rushing out to go buy this either. So, yeah. Well, this brings us to another selling point. If they're going to charge this much for it, Kiwi Steel ninety five writes in and he says, with the release date and price being announced, will the PS five VR device ever be able to be used with a PC and have access to Steam VR in the Steam store, or is it only going to be used with the PSVR with a PS five and the PlayStation store? Um. You know, I I think I my gut, my brain would say it's going to be PS5 only, at least at first and for a while. But if they're going to charge this much for it, the only thing that would save it, I think, is if they did make it work with PC. Because if they did, oh, well, then I'm maybe I'll get it. Oh, I uh, yeah, I, I guess I just don't know what the what the calculation there is. Like, is it they want to make more money do they want to make money off of the unit itself or do they want to make money off of the platform like 
it, it, because if you allow it on Steam, well, that's potentially losing what thirty percent of uh, game sales for VR devices too. So, mm-hmm. I, I I would love to yeah. see it get Steam support. I'm not going to say I I, I don't. But want they're not that. pricing just, it like they're going to make it up on the software. So if they're not, they might as well make it so PC gamers can use it. Ah, I, I I mean I'm inclined to agree with that. I just don't know what Sony's thinking, and they've certainly so, not always hit home runs. Maybe they're just choosing to do the both of the dumb things. You never know. <laughs> and Sony has typically been one of the is has typically been more they want to keep their environment their environment. You know. Hmm. Yeah. It should be easier to do this time around, though. It just uses a USB-C, and before you had all that crap, you'd have to like program for it to port it to PC. So I wouldn't be surprised if like modders could make this work on PC easily. And all of the mocap is in the headset. I mean, uh, yeah, well, I probably shouldn't say mocap. All of the position tracking right. is so you in. don't need to program for an eye toy or, or try yeah. to convert a camera to use it or something. So eh, that, that gives it another advantage, I think. Or not another advantage, uh... A, a better possibility, a, easier implementation, I would think, on the PC. I think we agree we'd be surprised if a modders didn't make it happen within a year or so. Oh, th- that's also true. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But um, all right, anything else to say about this? I mean, because I do think there's a greater, I don't want to go on for too long about it, but it's just like, inflation is real, mm-hmm. costs are up, these companies aren't always lying to you. But, Maybe a high-end graphics card can cost $900 now. It doesn't need to cost $1,600, no matter what these people try to tell you. And maybe a VR device should cost $400 so they can make 20% profit. Sure. But $550? Mm-hmm. It doesn't include Bluetooth. It doesn't include an SSD. It doesn't include an APU. It doesn't include 8 gigabytes of RAM. Yeah, it's, it's, it's missing a lot. They're making a big profit, guys. And when a com- and that's what made me leak this. is like when Sony tries... If, if Sony tries to claim they're not... You guys need to know they are. And, and I think there's, a, you guys, I know there's inflation, but some of you companies, you're making more money than you're letting on. Well, and if the Quest uh, the Quest 3 can manage to only sell for like, I don't know, a little bit more money or something. Or 500. Like, I think they're originally targeting 350 to 500. So we'll see if they manage to do it. Well, e- even if they end up selling it for like $600 instead of, or something, I mean... I think that tells you there's a lot more in the Quest than there is mm-hmm. in the PSVR headset. So there, there's something that you're not being told if, you know. Well, I think, and again, I want to be very clear about this thing I haven't said yet. I do think a big part of this, though, is Sony thinks inflation is going to keep getting worse over the next two years, or they think it could. Mm-hmm. And they're in Japan. They're not in America. Inflation's been horrific in japan compared to the west and especially compared to america so i think what Sony's saying is we're allowing for losing 20 percent of our margin over time if that doesn't happen we can do a price drop uh, yeah and they that don't see sense. themselves as having competitions so that's all i would say is but and if they would have even done 400 i don't know i think <laughs> they could have taken the market but i guess they're just choosing not to at least not yet mm-hmm. all right but then again, you know, you look at Zen 3 and it's like what they did a price drop two years later and take the market anyway. So maybe that's what Sony's hoping they can do if they need to. But let, let me uh, stop jumping all over the place and move on to the wrap up. So this is the wrap up. This is the final links and stories to talk about. They are not big enough to get their own stories. Just maybe an honorable mention. We already talked about the manly 450 watt 4090 blower edition. I just think that's hilarious. I think it 
Like, why are they keeping it 450 watts with a blower? Like, that thing's got to be loud. My 3090 is really loud. That's got to be really loud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say if that comes out, you know. Um, also, WCCF Tech confirmed that 100,000 at least RTX 4090s have shipped so far. It's about the number I told you guys. I just <laughs> thought it was, I don't know if they realized they backed up my thing there. Um, Sapphire Rapids was demoed with DDR5 6400 memory, which Sienna supports up to 4800 megahertz memory. So that does show you that Intel seems to have a better DDR5 controller here. And again, it seems like Sapphire Rapids, oh, it was Granite Rapids was benchmarked with it. My, my bad. And they also like talked about Sapphire Rapids. So yeah, Granite Rapids is being tested early samples. Um, oh, look at that. And video cards references 120 cores, question mark. I already leaked. It's 128, you guys. 120? No, it's 128. <laughs> Why cry? Um, and then we have God of War Ragnarok reviews. So I brought this up because they brought this up on Sacred Symbols. I expected this to get great reviews. I wasn't going to bet. They didn't, apparently. Did you expect... It's got crazy good Metacritic reviews, let's be clear. I was expecting probably closer to 85 to 90, but 94. I guess some people were thinking this would be a half-assed sequel, and it's clearly not. Well, uh, Tom, ever since Boat Animation Gate happened, everybody's (laughs) expectations were lowered for that game for some reason. Yeah, how dare they use cutting-edge mocap twice? Yeah, or the same mocap twice, I should say. <laughs> I guess I don't know when all of the mocap took place, but you know, after the actor is injured and <laughs> according to him, delayed production of the game. Yeah, like should yeah yeah. But uh, so that, is that higher reviews than you expected, or is that what you expected? Uh, uh, honestly, some people. this is around what I would have expected out of God of War. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then another game's Modern Warfare 2 best-selling Call of Duty in history. Might I suggest it's because it has no competition and no one makes modern shooters all of a sudden. What do you mean? It's in... FPSs are in a great state right now, Tom. There's, modern FPSs. Yeah, I mean, uh, hero shooters like Overwatch, I guess. Those are doing well. That, that I think is doing well, but I think those appeal to fundamentally different people. Fundamentally different types of gamers. Well, we've been playing it too, and we like it a lot. We yeah, have it on it's PC, uh, which it's funny. It supports Dual Sense natively, so if like I'm on the go on a laptop, I can just plug in a Dual Sense, or I can use a mouse and keyboard. And, and it's like no bugs in the online for me. I, it, some people have said there's bugs, but I haven't had any online. I've had some menu glitches that aren't that big okay. of a deal, but it's it's like fix it. But like, once you get in a game, it works. Yeah, it's just annoying. Like if I go into the shooting range sometimes because. I, I I just do it to, you know, make sure everything's mm-hmm. working or test new fields every once in a while. It just pulls me out into the menu, but I'm still in the firing range. So, mm-hmm. like, I can pull the trigger and I still hear the gun sound. Uh, and it's still running somewhere in the background, even though the menu's up for some reason. All right. So it's not bug free, I guess. I had some bugs in the campaign. I've had zero in the online, which is interesting to me. But I, I would say the, the gunplay's a hell of a lot less buggy than most uh, shooters, shooters lately, I've been used yeah. to recently. So, 
Not but complaining. yeah, you know, so this has been a breath of fresh air for people like us who wanted a new modern shooter. And I'd say the gun handling is even better than before. Like, yeah. it, it's more recoil, same amount of damage. It seems like magazines have slightly less ammo on average. Or they'd have let, I, at least maybe it's because it's early. I see less people running around with 60 round mags or something. It seems like 45 is more of the standard now. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, uh, and it takes longer to reload more. If you have a higher capacity mag, there's more recoil penalties. It, I, I like it a lot. I, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and uh, the Microsoft acquisition of Activision, speaking of Call of Duty, seems to be facing closer examination in the EU. I don't have anything to really add to this. I'm just throwing it out there again. That thing has not just passed, and things do keep popping up. Um, that the FTC and the EU may block the Activision microsoft purchase you know so we'll have to see but i just i think people keep talking about that like it's an inevitability and it's like eh, i don't know yeah i'd still say kind of 50 50 on that one um wouldn't you i i mean i want to go 50 50 i want to go I, I would still if you made me bet i would i would probably say it goes through but i'm not i'm not choosing to make that bet you know like i i i don't think I think it's a lot lower of a chance than like the Bethesda deal going through where there was some doubt on that where I, mm, I don't think I there have were, any doubt on that one. Uh, well, there was some doubt online, even though I don't think there was ever like a legitimate chance it would have been blocked. Yeah. And, um, I, and you know, I guess there's a big difference between this. I remember talking to Daniel Nenny about the uh, NVIDIA ARM acquisition and the reason NVIDIA would have backed out isn't just all the blocks they were getting, but like even if it eventually went through, if it took six years to buy ARM, all that IP is worthless in the silicon industry at that point. Mm-hmm. Whereas if Microsoft takes five years to buy Activision, that's probably how long it takes anyways for the Sony deals on Call of Duty to go away. So yeah. they can probably wait five years on this one. Um, all right. Let's get to the final reader mails here. Tick Tickler writes in and he says, I'm not going back, Tom. They can't make me go back. I'm never returning to 30 frames per second. It's illegal in my mind. And how fucking dare they? Are the recent strand of 30 frames per second games on next generation of consoles just a string of unoptimized games or an indicator of the industry changing their target with the new generation? They could do that a few generations ago, but after everyone's used to 60, just seems like the pushback should be too extreme for them to actually try this. What games use 30 hertz? I I mean, I've been playing on PC mostly this year, so I don't... Uh, the only ones I can th- th- saw, saw yeah, that I saw recently were Gotham Knights, which no one cares about, and uh, Plague Tale 2, which oh, also they didn't no talk one about that on Sacred cares Symbols. about. Well, I, I shouldn't say no one cares about because I think that's... I know the first one was well-received, at least, but I don't think many people played it. Yeah, I, well... I, I imagine, yeah, with Plague Tale 2, they're like, the gameplay doesn't require 60 hertz. I'd say that's a complete mistake. It, make it 60 hertz. Everything. Or it, uh, at a minimum, there should be an option for 60 hertz in every game. Like, it's, it just looks so much worse. I don't know if there's anything other than that. And it seems like Gotham Knights, uh, to me, it seems like Gotham Knights just isn't a very well-made game. <laughs> Yeah, it has a 40 hertz mode or something, though, on 120. If you have like V-Sync variable refresh, I think I'm reading. I could be reading that wrong, so I shouldn't say that. Yeah, I don't know. So I guess there's one game, but I don't know what else would. 
Um, I, I know. I think there's always going to be the odd game that goes 30 hertz, and I think there's always going to be most devs saying we're not doing that again. Mm-hmm. I think 60 hertz is the standard. 120 hertz is kind of already the PC standard, and then they're going to start pushing to 240 hertz now, and 60 is the new 30. I, I don't think you should expect this to become a standard. Um, 0x000FO4 writes in and says, any news about a 48 gigabyte 4090 Ti? Um, I've got news about something, uh, <laughs> but I'm not rushed to leak it. You know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you thought the 4090 was big, ain't seen nothing yet, guys. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I have a fun leak I'm kind of saving for like over the holiday break. It's mm. probably how long it's going to be for it to be safe for me to put it out, but it's a fun one. But uh, nothing else to report now. Not next month, so who cares? Brett Summers writes in, Tom, this leak that came out saying Meteor Lake is topping out at six cores on desktop, is this true? Are we really seeing a core count regression? Is there going to be such a large IPC performance per clock uh, per and clock speed makeup for losing two cores over Raptor Cove? Not entirely, I don't think. Um, Meteor Lake will be better than Raptor Lake. I think even on desktop, it will be. Probably at everything. But I'm going to, I already told you guys, I've got a big Intel leak coming out. I've got a huge update coming about a lot of things that Intel's working on soon. And what I would say now is 2023 is going to be a rough year for Intel, I think. (laughs) (sighs) That seems to be the common thing. (laughs) I have more hope for 2024, uh, late, especially late 2024. But I just think until early 2024 at a minimum, it's going to be rough. Mm Mm-hmm. Put it that way. Sarcastro writes in, Dan, any travel plans for Thanksgiving? Going to Nashville. Going to Nashville. It's becoming a, since I moved here, our parents live in Minnesota. You live in Massachusetts. It's becoming kind of a tradition. We meet in the middle in Nashville. Mm-hmm. When everyone leaves the city, you guys come here. <laughs> hey, got to capitalize off those empty streets, baby. But yeah, that's kind of the tradition that's emerging now, right? Is we spend Christmas in Minnesota in the snow, and then in Thanksgiving, my parents are like, it's already snowed here. Let's spend Thanksgiving week in Nashville, where it's probably like 60 to 70 degrees and not freaking 30 already. Yeah, that's definitely an advantage of not living in Minnesota. <laughs> you know, it's funny, because we're, our families, for those wondering, like, why the heck would your parents be in Minnesota? Well, we're from Minnesota, and they decided to retire closer to family. Which, yes, I always make fun of them. I'm like, and you know, most old people retire in Minnesota where the taxes are low and it's warm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, last time they were here, every time they're here, like we usually go on some long walks with Reese and stuff. And I'm like, is this okay? Like that we're just walking? You don't want to do anything else? And they're like, Tom, it's 40 degrees in Minnesota. We're in 70 and sunny. We're happy just walking around here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah. You'll be traveling to uh to Nashville. That's that's the uh, tradition. It seems these days for our family, and I will be hosting yet again. Indubitably, I'm happy to do. Okay, well, that's the episode. It was a longer one as I expected it to be. I mean, there's just so much goddamn news. Um, if you enjoyed this, please share it, like it, make sure you're subscribed to the Moore's Laws at YouTube channel. We've gained a ton of subscribers this month yet again so far, but. I saw several people message me and go, hey, uh, YouTube just unsubscribed me last week for some reason. Double check that you're subscribed. Some thanks of the videos YouTube. I put... Yeah, <laughs> thanks, YouTube. I mean, some of the videos I've looked at recently, they say half of the viewers aren't subscribed. So if a, vi- if a video gets 100,000 views, you just 
gain 50,000 subscribers, it seems, you know, <laughs> that really does help the channel quite a bit. Um, so do that if you aren't, if you can. And then, of course, support us on Patreon. If you have $2 or $4 a month, you get Die Shrink, um, which is a podcast only for patrons. You get Broken Silicon early and ad-free, the ability to ask me questions, Dan questions, guest questions. You get access to the Discord. You get access to some other bonus content we throw out there every now and then and, and lo- free questions on loose ends at the proper tier. Thanks. And the I mean, there's there's a lot. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff you get. And we cannot having the amount of patrons we have just makes it so that no matter what happens, like if there's a sponsor who's like, hey, could you make your ad five minutes long? I can just say no. Because I don't need I don't need it. You know, we have that base pay on Patreon. We'll take the deals that are good for us and good for you. And we, we're not forced to like, you know, I, I won't name the sponsor. There's some sponsors recently I've noticed trying to get people to put the name of their ad in the title of the video. And it's like, <laughs> we don't need to do that, guys, because you support us on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Um, All righty. That is it. Thank you, everybody, for listening and uh, have a good week. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Fole, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Patecki, Mahalo Rakwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Jeremy, Jan Rauner, Daniel High, Treadbird, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJ B1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valcom Alev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spam from G Spam from Jonathan, Lord Starstream. 
General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederic, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Aziris, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Cameron, Christian Lavoy, Hardforum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Lance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, GZ Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stephen Hart, David Sebastian, Meat and Pork Stew, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Colden Mobley, Nanny and Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, Autrini, Patrick Rowe, Amy Will Chief, Brett Summers, Milton, Stephen Dick, Tommy, Kundin, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, Mac Daffy, Delmaine Peterson, James Anderson, Marshall Pierce, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy 08, Halbuma, Norithio, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan, Kolatic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, Brendan O'Connell, The Grin, Michelle Pell, 31337Antics, Joseph Kelly, Noah Nicoella, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jim Ferreira, Mayor, Desis, Thomas Steve, Precision, DNA Tech, Nicholas Alexandra. John O'Shea, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Richard Ari, Slushpot, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Neith Rizink, David Eastland, Cal, Andre Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Settler, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Windstar, Joker, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Nalima, John Shim, Justin Bussell, Kelfin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Shea, Julian Leaked, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, John Iverson, Samuel Parks, Radiant Technologies Group, The Eternal Dreamers, Jansen Angima, Mark Central, Derek Lambine, Michael, Fours and Pours, Him Sigung, Robert Davidson, and Space Channel 5, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.